And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Evening, wherever you might be listening, as the case may be. All across the United States, North America, South America. Hello to Sarah in New Zealand. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your kind email. And Catherine as well. Catherine T., thank you so much for your kind email as well. Uh, In fact, uh, Catherine... uh, Yes, we did bring on uh, Gary Stearman, Bob Ulrich, Bill Salas, and Jonathan Kahn, various guests that you asked for, and I uh, brought them on. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, last night, uh, the last broadcast, it was a great broadcast. Folks, we broadcast live, the Hagman Hagman Report, broadcast live, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10. I like to call, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. I, I'm, myself, I'm Doug Hagman, of course, and with me is Joe Hagman, my son, fellow investigator and fellow researcher. Now, we've got a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. We've got some, just a, just an incredible uh, lineup here. But before we get to our guests, a couple of things. Have you, have you seen the headlines? My goodness. Uh, Gallup poll, trust in media, historic low. Now what I find, and, and this, I just want to lead off with this just for about two minutes is all. And, um, the, you might think, well, boy, this is like a kind of a know nothing headline or, or just a, you know, tell me something new kind of headline. You know, folks, I was, uh, talking with a couple of, uh, people here, potential whistleblowers, and I say potential only because, well, just potential whistleblowers, I'll just leave it at that, in one government agency specifically. And they both, but one in particular, one gentleman said to me, um, you know, it would be a lot easier if we had somebody to turn to, to give this information to, that in one, in the flash of a second can, can get this worldwide. I said, well, what about us? He said, well, that's why we're talking to you. But, but he was explained to me. He said, you know, there's, although the trust in the corporate media is at a record low, he said that, uh, there's a, a, a great deal of, a great number of people right now who look to the New York Times or, well, look to major media publications, print and television publications. All right. Look to those publications or, uh, broadcasts. Thinking, you know, going back to the Woodward and Bernstein era, the Watergate era, era, they're looking for that in, but they're coming to realize that is no longer. There's no protection afforded uh, to them. There is no uh, assurances that anything they would give the, the corporate media at this point. And, and again, this is no surprise to you, the listener, no surprise to anybody. But I suppose it was more of a uh, more of an issue where they're saying, "My goodness, you know, it's it's." The media as we know it has been dead for a long time. But it's even worse than that. And this is why I brought it up. It's not that just that there's mistrust with the media. There's a malicious aspect to this. Now, this is just what I want to take the, the, the remaining minute just to tell you before I bring the guest, uh, our guests on tonight. But, but there's a malicious aspect to this I want to, I want to drive home. In the corporate media, if you make a mistake, for example, um, 
or I'm sorry, in the corporate media, if you attempt to get your story out in the corporate media, the punishment, the blowback against the whistleblower or potential whistleblower is beyond anything you can imagine, the threats to the, the person's family. Plus, the story gets buried. The individual, we'll say the media outlet, I'll just leave it at that, the media outlet that will take the story, take the report. They do more than not air it. They take that material and then they turn around and they advise the various people in the government agencies, whether it's the State Department, the Executive Office, the whatever branch is affected, or the CIA, FBI, and they turn it around against the potential whistleblowers. There's the, the, that, the, there's this incredible, uh, in, incredible blowback that will take place. Now, the second thing is in the alternative media, and this is something even more insidious, folks. As he was telling me, he said, "Look, the alternative media is great." Shows like ours and Infowars and Rick Wiles and Dave Hodges and you know just anyone in Global Star basically anyone in Global Star Radio Network any uh, Steve Quayle of course. However, there are people to those unfamiliar unfamiliar with the alternative media or the new media. There are minefields. Uh, it's a minefield. There are mines out there that if you accidentally or if you use bad judgment and you go to, we'll say a so-called journalist on the alternative media and provide the information. It is just as bad with the alternative media personality or the alternative media uh, source as it would be for the corporate media. You might think, well, again, nothing new here. We have to watch everything, so why are you even talking about this? The reason I'm talking about this is it has changed. The whole environment, the whole playing field has changed over the last six months. Please understand this. The people that you may may be listening to are not working to get the truth out. They're they're working to get a morsel of truth out and to bury the rest. On the corporate side, no way are they going to get the truth out, and, and even more so, they're going to go after the truth teller, the whistleblower. Mm-hmm. More on this as the week progresses. Watch our website, HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com, because we're going to have an exclusive on this. And again, you might think that this is all just uh, old news. And, and perhaps I did not do justice in presenting it, folks. However, it is so important. It's so incredibly important that you realize that this is a major problem. And even more so as the weeks progress, we are not going to be, there's going to be censorship. There's going to be, uh, uh, not just censorship, but, uh, uh, blowback against the alternative media much, much more than there already is. Tonight's broadcast brought to you by Elite Island Resorts. Elite Island Resorts. You look at the world around you, you think, my goodness, can I take any more of the headlines? Can I take any more of this? I'd like to get away. How about getting away for the holidays, perhaps? You think you can't afford it? Oh, I found this. We found this just a tremendous, amazing getaway at just an even more amazing price. It's the Pineapple Beach Club in Antigua. Folks, go to HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. And look at the, find the pineapple. Find the pineapple there on the right-hand side. Okay. The Pineapple Beach Club in Antigua. Right now, for just $99 per person per night, you can enjoy an adults-only, meaning 16 and over package. It's all-inclusive. It's a holiday getaway on a white sandy beach. Go to PineappleBeachClub.com. Or folks, call 800-772-8711.
And, uh, Officer Sean, if you're listening, I'd love to send, love to send you and your, and your, and your bride out there to Antigua, you know, if I had my way. Huh. Do a great job and thank you so much for listening and, and stay safe out there, brother, my brother. Now we've got, uh, we, we've got two, two individuals who I, uh, you talk about great researchers and yeah. guys that really can write and can do a, do a great job. Anthony Patch and, uh, uh, Doug Woodward. Doug Woodward. Woodward. Uh, Doug Woodward is the author of over a dozen books and is on frequent television and radio. And folks, you know, Anthony Patch, um, he's been a guest on our show just a, a few weeks ago. And both of these guys have come together along with uh, Gonzo Shimura and uh, Josh Peck to write a book titled Revising Reality, a biblical look into the cosmos. Yes. And we're going to be digging into this topic uh, in this book tonight. W- you know, what it is and why it matters to Christians. See, mm-hmm. we... Uh, Jonathan Kahn yesterday said this so eloquently. You, you know, God is not to be put in a box. You can't put God in a box. And a lot of times when we read our Bibles, we do just that. Or when we remember yesterday, uh, uh, Jonathan Kahn was talking about uh, the, the different stories and accounts in the Bible. And, and I think then, um, we had a couple of discussions this week about that, about Bible stories. They're not just Bible stories. They're real accounts. And Sometimes we we just relegate them to the to fairy tales. But anyway, I don't want to take any more of our guest time, Joe. Thank you for uh, for your patience, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. But more about the media censorship and, and the whistleblowers and how that is going to affect all of us, and especially the mind field mind excuse me mind field that is the landscape with, within the alternative media. So very important. But uh, Joe, let's bring him on. Yeah, we have with us Anthony Patch from anthonypatch.com and Douglas Woodward from doomsdaydoug.com. I'm going to bring on Anthony first. How's it going, Mr. Patch? See, I talked too long. He probably jumped off. Mr. Woodward, are you there? Is anyone there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Okay, there we go. Good. All right. I had to uh I had to mute my mic a little bit. So uh uh you know, I'm in a I'm in a smaller apartment and and uh, so you know, there may be a few background noises, but I'll I'll do my best to try to keep those to a minimum. But anyway, it's great to be with you guys. It's been way too long since I've had a chance to be on the Hagman and Hagman show and I'm really appreciative of this opportunity. So thank you so much. Well, D- Doug, thank you for your time, gift of time coming on and uh don't think that we didn't have. I mean, we had surveillance on you at Blanket Surveillance on you, we knew what you're doing, and, and we know you. We we know you're a busy uh, and, and folks. Doug Woodward is is just a fantastic author, and what a great writer, and what a great researcher. This your investigative work product. I like to call it that. Revising reality. Thank you for writing it. First of all. This is uh, volume well, one, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. It's a great, probably uh, one of my favorite things to do was working on this book, and uh, I had a chance to write a book about Mars a couple couple years ago that was a lot of fun. And this is right in the same uh, sort of wheelhouse, and it is a uh, it's been terrific fun. And then working with Anthony and uh, Josh Peck and Gonzo Shimura, it's been it's been quite a, a fun time and and a tremendous learning time, and and we're so excited of the opportunity to share. Some some of the, the new things that we've learned and that we've written about, and we think the audience will will really be intrigued. And so uh, we hope we we hope we do that tonight. Doomsday, Doug. Thank you for that. And, um, <laughs> by the way, yeah, you can thank uh, JD for that. By the way. Oh, oh, really? 
Okay. Well, I actually was my Twitter handle, and I've used Faith ha- Happens for years, and it's still officially, you know, the name of the uh, the website. But uh, but I'll be going to Faith Happens Books, and then my personal site will be Doomsday Doug. You know, we're trying to appeal to young people, and and they like catchy names like that. So uh, uh, and then uh, JD was just really awesome to help me kind of overhaul and uh, do a do a makeover on my website. So uh, hopefully people will go. As we're talking, go out and look at Doomsday Doug uh, tonight and, and check it out. I think they'll have some fun looking through all the things I've written about lately. Some pretty pretty interesting subjects, and so uh, I think they'll you, like it. You're you're a t- you're a talented writer, and and folks, uh, all of his publications, his articles, Doomsday Doug, definitely uh, visit that website. The link is uh, on our website. Yeah. And Mr. Patch, thank you, sir, for joining us, and welcome back. And sorry we cut you off or you dropped off, but we're back. I was over at Pineapple Beach. You were. Well, did yeah. you get uh, did you get uh, sand in your shoes or what? Beautiful no, white sand. Some bully, some bully kicked sand in my face. He didn't like how I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to be back with you guys. Thank you for the privilege of speaking with you about our first of two books that we're putting together. Yeah, I saw this was, uh, I was reading the, the back cover of your book. And folks, you can go to anthonypatch.com and there's a big graphic of the cover of the book. And if you click that, you will, it will be taken to a separate page where you can, uh, see what's on the back of the book and about the authors. And in the, um, paragraph, it said in volume one of a two volume study. Uh, and I, I haven't looked through the, read the book yet except for the information that, um, that you've sent me, but I'm excited and looking forward to reading this just from the description that's on the back and very excited to get into this tonight. So where do you guys want to start with this? Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump in real quick. I just want to segue for, for, um, or for Doug. Doug, you were talking about, um, Mr. Hagman, you were talking about the internet and October 1st is lean, is looming on the horizon for the movement of the control, so to speak, of the Internet offshore. Um, I'm just going to be putting a shameless plug in for the book. If the Internet goes down, you need to have a hard copy you can refer to. So go to our book, buy it before October 1st. How's that? Uh, You know what? And I I really... Honestly, I don't do well with, uh, you know, e-books. All right? So I like to have the hard copy. There's... Yes, please. And, And, folks, when you get... This book is incredibly important in the in the context of current events. I mean, how, how it, it's yes, please. In fact, it's available on Amazon. Go to Amazon or uh, uh, or is it? It's uh, you can you can yeah, purchase it's on, Am, Am, on Amazon and and uh, uh, my inventory is coming down to my uh, to my house here in about another week or so. And and okay. Anthony will be at a conference and have books there. But uh, but right now, people that uh, people can buy it. Either on Amazon.com or from Create Space, and and uh, and you know if they're Prime members in a couple of days, which will be faster than I get my copy. Wow. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> let's 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 start, um, Anthony. I'm, we're going to turn it over to you. Uh, go ahead and lead. Uh, we got about twelve to eleven minutes uh, here uh, this segment, so why don't you go ahead and lead off and kick it to Doug whenever whenever necessary. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be very brief with it because Doug really is the godfather of this project. I mean, he is a university professor. He has written 12 books of his own. He has turned this into a university text. This is university level material. 
And I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm anything special or the four authors. I mean, it's just that Doug has really been able to massage our words to that level of expertise. So I'm going to let him really explain the purpose and the intent of the book. But very quickly, it's a collaboration between four of us that have had an ongoing dialogue over the course of at least a year, perhaps longer. And we really hand it to Doug to see the vision of pulling us together and saying, look, you guys are complementary in your specific areas of research, and you know each other well enough. This is just a no-brainer. We have to do a book together. So, Doug, I'm going to let you take it from there. Okay. Okay, well, great. Thanks, Anthony. And, and, uh, uh, since we got two Dugs on the line tonight, we'll probably have to be, we'll have, Joe and, and Anthony will have to be specific which Doug they're talking to. But, uh, but nevertheless, let me give you a sense of, of where I, I wanted to come from in, in suggesting that we do this project. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that over the last three or four years, I mean, I've been writing actively and in, in the sort of prophetic community. Uh, kind of collegially, I guess, with, uh, you know, the names of folks that have been on your show, uh, frequently. And, um, in fact, one other name we need to mention is Stan Deo, who was gracious enough to write the foreword to this book, which, uh, Joe, when you read it, the foreword itself is going to knock your, knock your socks off. It's just, just outstanding. But, um, but we, we've been kind of inundated with so many different things about, um, you know, the Nephilim and, uh, all, all of the strange things about UFOs and and all these things have sort of cosmological implications and and so but but nobody's really tried to sort of bring it all together and kind of directly confront the the cosmology of the Carl Sagans and the Neil deGrasse Tysons and the kind of the secular education that we all received and that we continue to be inundated with with uh, with television shows that talk about these things. So, and I'm not really talking about ancient aliens here. I'm talking more about just the sort of atheistic secular understanding of the Big Bang theory and and the expansion of the universe and the age of the universe and all those kinds of things. And so that's really the that's kind of the cosmology. And I, I sent you guys an article which may be up on your website to kind of provide a little humorous introduction to the notion of what is the cosmos and what is cosmology and so forth. And I sort of jokingly suggest that people probably know more about cosmeticians than they do cosmologists. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I pointed out that, that a cosmologist is not, that's not an advanced degree from beauty school. Uh, although that may be what a lot of people think about when they, when they hear the word cosmologist. But, uh, your listeners, I'm sure, are, are well beyond that and, uh, and very up to speed on the issue of cause, the cosmos and so forth. But, but anyway, we, we really believe that from God's perspective, the Bible is a very cosmological book. You know, if you really look at Genesis 1, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth and the earth. And the perspective that we're putting right in kind of in everyone's face is that the the cosmology of the Bible begins with God and rapidly moves to humanity. In other words, even in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse chapter 1, verse 27, and it talks about the fact that God created man. He created men and, you know, created them man and woman, uh, and he created them. He mentions it three times, Moses writing, I believe, uh, in Genesis, uh, three times in that one verse, emphasizes the creation of, of humankind. And so really the Bible story 
is really the story of the era beginning with Adam and Eve and concluding with the the coming of Jesus and then a millennial reign if uh, if folks are uh, believers in the millennium and it's sort of this window of time there may have been I happen to believe there was uh, you know something going on in our solar system in this universe probably even on our earth prior to Adam and Eve that's sort of another story and we're going to get into that more in volume two but the book really emphasizes the fact that you know the Judeo-Christian worldview is a worldview of a cosmos that's very centered around the relationship between God and man, and it is so opposite of what we were taught. You know, Carl Sagan, I, the, the famous line from Carl Sagan in terms of how he opens the book Cosmos is, um, let's see, it says he says the the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. And so this, it's a very Greek idea of permanent matter that the, you know, the, the creation is eternal, it's infinite, and, uh, and of course those of us that remember him talking about it, it's full of billions and billions of stars. And of course that was, uh, that was the intonation. Hey, that's that he pretty good. That, to that phrase, wasn't it? That was very Carl, Carl Saganist, wasn't it? And, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, who folks today kind of know because he's a very popular uh, astronomer uh, theoretical I think he's really an astronomer there's like I think it's Michio Kaku who is the sort of theoretical uh, astrophysicist or whatever but um, Sagan was an astronomer and was extremely popular uh, you know cosmologist uh, his, his program Cosmos was the number one most popular public television television program of all time and uh, globally it still is um, in the United States I'm sure something uh, trivial has come to take its take its place as number one but anyway cosmos hugely influential in the what I would call kind of the brainwashing of uh, of the population of America and uh, and again, so the emphasis on what we're trying to do in revising reality is we're trying to revise the reality of the way that Christians think about the cosmos and get it back to the way the Bible tells the story of the cosmos, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as John says in uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so these are these are really kind of the seminal statements of of Christian cosmology. So uh, so let me you know sort of stop there. That's kind of the opening salvo, and, and maybe have uh, you guys kind of react to that if you'd like to. You, you know, I I don't think I really need to, or Joe and I really need to even um, add to that. Well, yeah, I just good, want to say that go ahead. Um, in what you said about how, and I'm going to use other words, but you know, so often we put. God in a box and his abilities in a box and we don't truly understand you know how uh, his creation and how it works and that a lot of times limits our human mind in how we think about these things and a lot of people have the you know the spirit of religiousness where they put up these blinders when it comes to information like this not knowing that the bible proves what you know scientists have found over the years from their uh, different laws to uh 
you know, from evolution to creation, the, you know, the, the religion of evolution. And, uh, it's just very interesting to see that how these, how science is proving the existence of God, uh, and how, you know, the Bible and nature does also, but. But that can be spun though, too. Absolutely. We were talking about that earlier. You know, guys, that can be spun in a different way. And, um, yeah. But Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, it's kind of why the, one of the things we do is we start off with the image of uh, Da Vinci's, um, Vitruvian Man and kind of use that as a little header for each of the chapters to kind of reinforce again and again and again that, that the Bible tells the story of humanity and humanity's redemption and that the, the relationship, you know, we don't ever think about the fact that, that we talk as, you know, as evangelical Christians, we talk about the fact that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we don't really stop and think about that as a cosmological statement. By that I mean the fact that the God of the universe who created all the stars and all the galaxies and everything I like to say from the galaxies to the gluons, uh, that God has a relationship with us. And that God came to earth uh, at one time, about 2,000 years ago, and he died for us. And those are stunning cosmological statements about the nature of the universe. Mm. Wow. S- stunning indeed. I, I mean, and, and think about that, too. And I, I love how you mentioned about our, our relationship. You know, uh, the older I get, uh, Doug and, and Anthony, the older I get, the more I contemplate on that relationship, uh, just to dwell on that just for a moment, and your work, your information, and I don't know how many people out there listening to this uh, feel the same way, but I read the Bible, but I also read scientific, you know, physics-based works. And it to me, it just brings the Word alive, and, and it also reinforces whether that that's your intent or whether that's just a collateral effect where it reinforces my relationship with uh with our lord and savior and and it, it mm. strengthens my faith and Absolutely. If, you know if, if that's what you're going for then job well done we're coming up against yeah. the uh, break here we'll be back in just a few short minutes folks you're listening to anthony patch and douglas woodward two of the four co-authors of revising reality available today uh, through Amazon, or you can go to anthonypatch.com or doomsdaydug.com. And when we come back, I wanted to touch on this while we're, we're talking about these issues. Bank of America analysts claim there's a 50% chance we live in a matrix reality simulation, saying that it's artificial intelligence from the future, the simulation we run in today. Of course, anything to get away from saying that the Lord created the universe. We'll be right back. Two stellar guests this uh, this uh, broadcast. Anthony Patch, AnthonyPatch.com, S. Douglas Woodward, DoomsdayDoug.com. Now, of the two Dougs present here, I, I dare say he's probably the better looking of us two, but that's all right. <laughs> I hope Certainly my wife th- thinks so as well. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my wife, uh, I can see her nodding in agreement. 
you know, I, I, no, this intellectual work product that is revising reality, a biblical look at the, into the cosmos, available right now today. Be the first. Go to Amazon. Flood Amazon. But by ten, I mean, no, but just, just seriously, this is a this is a fantastic book. Uh, modern physics, numerous timely topics inside the book, including dangers of CERN's large hadron collider, the occult agenda, and not too many people are really tackling that. The occult agenda behind humanity's most powerful machine and its link to the Tower of Babel, opening dimensional portals and their unknown effects, including awakening the creatures of the abyss. You know, Steve Quayle talked about this, Stan Dale, and, of course, our two guests. Uh, without further ado, uh, Anthony Patch, going to kick it over to you. Uh, just Thank you. Take it. All take right. It, By the way, the photograph is a lot older than Douglas <laughs> wants to let on to. He's really not that good looking. I've met him in person. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know, Doug. <laughs> Only a friend can do that to a friend in public. <laughs> anyway, hey, you mentioned Stan Dale, and he did yes. write the foreword for our book, and he, and I am we are indebted to him for taking the time to read the manuscript and then write this. So I'd like to acknowledge from his foreword um, his wife Holly. Uh, he states here that her latest work is Prophetic Perils and the End Time Events Revealed. And he had written previous to that himself, Stan, a book by the name of entitled The Cosmic Conspiracy. So with that background in mind, um, he mentions one thing that will shake up our reality. This was news to me. He discloses that the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets held in the air by Moses were perhaps holographic projections of the words inscribed on the tablets and that the words actually floated in the air. Now this was disclosed to him by in a private session with a rabbi who had disclosed that from his own research to Stan. So again, there are an awful lot of things we take for granted that we've learned perhaps in Bible study, um, in Sunday school, whatever, or even in our own secular education. But again, from Stan's words, I'd like to take an excerpt from the foreword. And he says, and if you read his his foreword, he reveals things that he has been reluctant to disclose before. He says, quote, In fact, reading this book already has me disclosing substantive facts of my past that I have not written down before, but needed to do so. I pray this book will challenge you in the same way. Too many rest sedately in deep slumber, unaware of what will soon happen, but they will be mind-numbing events certain to change everything. Let's wake up the world. Stan Dale. Go ahead, Douglas. That would be Mr. Woodward. <laughs> That'd be Mr. Woodward, yes. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I don't know, um, because I haven't seen all of the Hagman and Hagman shows with Stan Dale. There have been a few. I don't know to what extent, and y you guys should tell me to what extent he's talked in detail about the work that he did with with uh, Mr. Teller and Mr. Sokharov and, uh, let's see, and Mr. Uh, Sir John Williams. 
Um, to what extent is he has he gone into the detail about the anti-gravity work and the UFOs and all that? I assume he's talked about that uh, probably in your yeah. show several times. He he's a guest uh, every Tuesday in our last hour, and he's been coming on for about two and a half years at least now. And yeah. he's touched on these things uh, quite frequently. And now okay. I, I probably would say about a month ago or so is the last time he talked about his, his trip to New Zealand when he was down there and, and some of the anti-gravity stuff that he worked on. But I don't know that we have even heard the whole and, and all the stories that uh, he has that you might well, have yeah. heard. It, it's yeah. interesting because he actually gave us a pretty good... Uh, told us really the story of, and, I, and so um, I made sure that that the readers understand who Dr. Edward Teller is, uh, Sir John Williams, and Dr. Andrea uh, Sokharov. So I might just mention this because the the forward, uh, you know, as I jokingly say, and not so jokingly, in in the article I wrote for today, um, the forward itself is almost worth the price of the book. I mean, it's just it is a it is a stunning. Uh, testimony to what he did back in the 1970s. He, he, I'll just kind of re, you know, kind of revisit it here quickly. 1971, he was, uh, basically invited to go to Australia to work under the, um, the auspices of, uh, John, John, Sir John Williams there. And, um, at, let's see, and then also Dr. Tom Keeble, who was the director of the Australian Aeronautical Research Labs, at uh, Fisherman's Bend in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, these guys are fascinating. Dr. Edward Teller is actually known as the father of the hydrogen bomb. So he was very involved in the Manhattan Project and a very controversial figure because he actually testified against uh, Robert Oppenheimer um, at Oppenheimer's trial when they were trying to decide whether or not Oppenheimer should be given a, a top secret clearance because there was uh, there was too much I guess there was a lot of, of discussion about whether or not uh, the Manhattan Project that the scientists there were disclosing uh, what they were doing to the Russians uh, in an attempt to uh, ensure that there was parity in the world and so sort of the concept of mutual assured destruction might have even been going on as early as 1945, 1946 in that time frame. So, uh, so Edward Teller was a key guy in this. Uh, Dr. Andreas Sakharov was a Russian nuclear physicist. He was a, a dissident, so he was uh, very much opposed to the Soviet style of government. Um, and Sakharov eventually won a Nobel Prize for his work, um, but he was a nuclear physicist as well. And then Sir John Williams was a, well, perhaps a member in good standing of the Melbourne Club, which is part of what's known as the Roundtable Society. Um, and this Roundtable Society, according to, um, let's see, the historian Carol Quigley, which many of your listeners will recognize his name, uh, he wrote the book Tragedy and Hope, which is this, you know, magnum opus of, what, 1,200 pages that really lays out and documents. I think 1365, uh, which is on my desk, and uh, i got to have two people <laughs> use move it, it. yes. You use it as a paperweight. That's what I was going to oh, suggest. Man. Maybe it, it keeps your desk from uh, from free, uh, free floating up to the ceiling or something. But uh, but nevertheless, Quigley talks about the Melbourne Club as in fact the the roundtable, more or less of the Illuminati. 
and um, and that so these guys had joined together and began to have discussions even before the end of World War II about what was going to come of uh, of all the nuclear science and work that they were doing and so uh, so it's it's these gentlemen in the 19 early 1970s that uh, Standale went to work for and so uh, I won't disclose all the things they talks about in the forward but uh, suffice it to say um, it is it, it, it itself is mind-numbing um, the stories that he tells and, and we capture a good good bit of that here in uh, in this forward Yes, yes. You know, and uh, I know Stan put a lot of energy, thought, and um, the, the, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I just want to echo your sentiments. A lot of intellectual weight is in that forward. That's all I'll say. And if you're a fan of Stan Dale, as, as I am, indeed, worth the price of the book in and of itself. Um and I just want to direct people back again to um, anthonypatch.com and doomsdaydog.com, the websites for both of our guests and folks, their book, Revising Reality, a Biblical Look at, Into the Cosmos, Volume 1, is available on Amazon, and uh, it's well well worth the, uh, the price. 316 pages out today on Amazon, and it's just a, a great intellectual work. The, the the one thing, if I can, I'll just, I'll just uh, toss this over to... Um, to Mr. Patcher, I, I forgive me if I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but we have gotten so many emails, so many questions, so many people. And Anthony, you've been on this show uh, several times talking about this, the occult significance of CERN and the role CERN is playing in all of this. Uh, do, you, do you care to address this, or at what point during this broadcast? Because we have to address that the occult significance sure. and the opening of portals. So, well, in in. I kind of want to do this logically for you guys. So, however you guys kind of want to see this unfold, go ahead. Uh, but you know, that's well, I, I really want us to, to zero in on that, and I think Anthony, um, you know, Anthony and I conspired most of this material as his. I did some additional research to kind of bolster some of the data, but I'm really keen for Anthony to talk a lot about this, and I'll uh, I'll add a little color commentary on uh, some of the some of the areas uh, that that I can talk about, which some of the uh, you know some of the occult societies and so forth, uh, just some staggering things that that we came across as we were putting this together. But Anthony, you should you should jump in and talk about this. Well, thank you guys. Um, I'll just address Doug Hagman as Mr. Hagman to keep it clear. You remember uh, you and I had a conversation, I think you reiterated in our last show, where you had said in a previous show concerning Saturn and the cube residing within it, the black cube of Saturn. And you disclosed to me that you had been in contact with an intelligence agency source who said to you, Doug, in relation to this cube, Doug, you don't know what you're talking about. And you had said, you're right, I don't know what I'm talking about. And his response to that was that everyone at the highest levels in the intelligence communities knows all about the black cube of Saturn and what it means. Now, I'm paraphrasing your words. Do you want to real quickly just kind of throw a comment back to me? Well, yeah, and this was a discussion with somebody within one of the three-letter agencies, and the we were talking about the just the 
Luciferian agenda in general, okay, uh, as it applies or in the context of current events. And somehow, I don't know where we took a left turn in the conversation and we started talking about the, uh, just about the, uh, uh, space and the planets, okay. And he, and I said, you know, it seems to me that like there's a lot of, a, a lot of emphasis placed on certain planets over others and every, but in particular Saturn, and I heard something uh, about Saturn, you know, and I did mention the, the, the cube, as you referenced, and but uh, uh, I went on kind of a, a different tangent, and he and that's when he stopped me and says, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, yeah, I, I, you're exactly right. I don't know. I mean, because I was taken aback by any emphasis whatsoever by anyone in the intelligence venues, any any one of them, talking about planets for crying out loud as some sort of a, an indicator or have any relevance to an agenda out there i guess you get the feeling or get the idea on that mm-hmm. so you know so yeah i mean enlighten well, us yeah it's it's funny because when i first presented it to douglas woodward he said well what have you got as background what have you got to substantiate your claim and my claim in short is that the large hadron collider will electrically reconnect with saturn and it will reconnect to more specifically the black cube within saturn so he and i struggled back and forth not in an adversarial way but in a complementary way to dig up more information so in a very short concise nutshell i'm just going to give a bullet point of something that really I've not spent a lot of time talking about with you guys on the show, um, but recently in a few other shows I've released this information. 4096, if people will write down the number 4096, that relates directly to Saturn. In Gematria, in translating Hebraic, 4096 means Saturn. It also means Shiva, the statue outside of CERN. It also means Ganesha, G-A-N-E-S-H-A. Now, Ganesha is the offspring of Shiva. And if people will go to Wikipedia or whatever and look at that very quickly for a definition, but the point I'm going to make very succinctly here is that 4096, related to Saturn, related also to Jupiter and Venus, also relates to all eight of the planets, including Saturn. The planets in the electric model of the universe already are electrically connected, Earth included. And they're held to their orbits electromagnetically, not by gravity. The point here is that we have occult, meaning hidden information, that is not presented to the mass public by those that operate CERN. They don't talk about Shiva even though the statue's there. And they certainly don't talk about Saturn or the planets or 4096 or Ganesha. But as you dig into this, if you probe long enough, as Douglas and I have done, and there's several other people that add to the dialogue, um, Chris and Tim from End Times Matrix News have been collaborating with me for over two years now. I sent the number 4096, and I'm going to define that number in a moment further. I sent it to Chris and asked her to dig into her area of expertise, which is the gods and demigods of ancient history and the planets. And she is the one who gave me the information that 4096 translates to Shiva, Ganesha, and it also translates to Saturn. Now, 4096, coming back to the cube within the planet of Saturn, 
is a black cube that is reproduced at Mecca. It is the worship of the black sun of the Nazis and the swastika. It is also the shape that was chosen by D-Wave Corporation for the housing, the box, the cube, a black cube that houses their sentient, artificially intelligent quantum computer. They publicly disclosed only in the model in their D2 format, the 1024. That's the number of qubits that they use to process information. 1024. However, they publicly disclosed in one of their journal papers to their peers, they were only using half of the qubits on a chip, so to speak, and that chip actually contained 2048, 2048 chips, and they only used half for the computer that they disclosed in February of last year. That computer last year has the equivalent processing power of 7 billion human brains. Now, you've heard me say a lot of this before, so I'm going to just skip right over and get back to 4096. 4096 is the mathematical um, progression of model numbers of D-Wave's artificially intelligent computers. They have not disclosed that number to the public, nor have they disclosed to the public 2048, which preceded it. 4096 is significant only not only because of the number of qubits and not only because it represents Shiva, Ganesha, and Saturn and the other planets, but it is also representative of a frequency. It is a half octave in the scale of octaves in musical notation. 4096 is a frequency, is a resonance frequency. 4096 represents the key. It is the define the definition of the key in scripture to the bottomless pit. And CERN is located over the ancient Roman temple site to Apollo, Apollyon, Abaddon, the destroyer. Shiva is destroyer. This machine is positioned over the gateway, the doorway to the abyss, and they now, by way of this adiabatic quantum computer from D-Wave, which is artificially intelligent and sentient, the 4096 is the key to the bottomless pit. And you wrote a book, uh, 4096, and folks, you can find Anthony Patch's book on his website, anthonypatch.com, or I'm sure on Amazon as well. Um, or I'm sorry, not... 4096, 2048, Diamonds in the Rough is the book. And, um, yeah, you, you were ahead of yeah. uh, He was halfway lot. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to well, chime I'm still in. Ahead of them. I, I'm still ahead of them because be, they haven't released 2048 yeah. yet. <laughs> That's, well, that's, that's true, but you basically have explained why it is that their model numbers are already going, they're already basically identified because they're following a, almost an occultic path in terms of the way they're, they're, they're progressing. So, they're half, uh, I was going to throw in. Octaves. They're half octave progressions. Each of their model numbers are musical frequencies. And, and there it is. Wow. Pretty stunning. I was I've, there's a an extended passage and a couple of things uh you know talking about the black cube which I find just really to be uh an amazing thing and I I have to admit as much as I had studied the paranormal and occult uh groups and so forth I really 
had been just oblivious to this whole issue of the black cube. The black cube is, in fact, an enormous key to unlock the uh, the whole sort of conspiracy, satanic conspiracy, that, that sort of threads together, weaves together the various cults, um, you know, from really the Freemasons to, uh, you know, the, the Brotherhood of, of Saturn, which is the, a Germanic cult, which, uh, which we talk about in the book. But um, l- let me read, this is a quote from um, uh, a website. I'll read this first. We can discuss, then I can read the, the passage from the book. Um, this is, quote, the lineage of the Illuminati traces back to mystery schools of the East. The cube represents Earth in Pythagorean, Indian, as an Indian deity standing on cubes, Egyptian, pharaohs sitting on cube thrones, and Platonic traditions. It's even realized as a sacred symbol today by the Freemasons, uh, which of course believed to be Illuminati affiliated. When they stand on an oblong square or a cube during regular rituals to the worshipful master. The cube is the building block of all nature and the five solids of the ancients labeled as the Pythagoras include a tetrahedron, a cube, an octahedron, a icosahedron, I hope I got that right, and dodecahedron. I don't did I do that right? You yes, can tell you me. Did. Sounds good. Did? Yes, you did. Oh, very good. Okay. Well that's from IlluminatiWatcher.com, decoding Illuminati symbolism and so forth. Yep. Yep. And um and so uh, this is really at the core of understanding uh, sort of the mythos or the mythology underneath a lot of these occult uh, groups. Mm, okay. You know, and, and all of this, see, what, and, and folks, uh, those people who have been listening to this, this program, you know, we, we talk about a variety of things. And it, this, to me, uh, what you're talking about tonight with respect to the cube and, and, well, even everything within your book, the explosion of knowledge and the presentation of that knowledge, the, the research product that, that, that uh, uh, the four of you, uh, the four authors in Standeo, have uh, put together here is really decoding the, the present and anticipating the future, and, and that's part of it too. The the Illuminati. Uh, we talk about the plans of the Illuminati. We talk about all of that, but understanding the symbolism and understanding the thrust of uh, what propels the, their agenda, their belief system. This is all part of it. So, th- you know, thank you for that clarification. And, and indeed, it's uh, uh, it's a very deep subject here. So. Let me, um, if I might, take about one minute and just read this passage uh, from Anthony's chapter. Um, and uh, I'm just going to kind of start in mid-sentence. But this is probably a subject you guys have, I don't know, you probably have had Jay Widener on your show uh, perhaps several times. I'm, I'm not familiar. But um, but anyway, this is kind of based upon some research that he's done. Um, so quoting here from Anthony's chapter, we can point out that it seems far more than coincidence that filmmaker Stanley Kubrick obsessed with occult topics and including and encoding information about the secrets of the elites in almost all of his films. Implants a Saturnalia mystery in his film 2001 A Space Odyssey. Some say that he feared his discovery Disclosure about the elite and their plans for humanity might get him killed. Why, for instance, did Hollywood make Kubrick change the target planet for the spacecraft operated by the HAL 9000 computer from Saturn to Jupiter? 
uh, in parentheses, Arthur C. Clarke's novel, 2001, had Saturn's moon, Iapetus, as the objective for the mission, Saturn being far more laden with mythology than Jupiter. And what might be the real meaning behind the black monolith? The linkage to the black cube of Saturn? Many sources attest to the fact that the black cube has been a symbol of Saturn down through the ages. Once you begin to see the black cube linked to religions around the world, you begin to wonder if lying behind all the veneration of the black cube is the cult of Saturn and the secret society that celebrates Saturnalia. The materialness of cult topic is legion. Here I would just say... Plots, uh, and then we go on to talk about the fact that we will cover this some in this volume and then more in detail in volume two, which uh, we anticipate about March of 2017. We're we're coming up against a, a break in about a minute here, and I don't know if this is an area you guys want to venture into, but uh, what you have just been talking about, it seems to go back to Rome and to these pagan civilizations that were around. Uh, since the beginning of civilization on Earth, from Babylon all the way up and through Rome. And, you know, people talk about today America being the revised Roman Empire, and we read about it in Scripture, you know, especially in Daniel when it's talking about the four different creatures, which are four different kingdoms that are coming in the world uh, before it is over. And uh, maybe on the other side we can we can touch on that. Mm-hmm. Folks who are listening to Anthony Patch and Douglas Woodward, Anthony Patch's website, very easy, anthonypatch.com, and Douglas Woodward's website, website, doomsdaydoug.com. We're talking about their latest book, co-authored, Anthony Patch, Doug Woodward, Gonzo Shamira, and Josh Peck, Revising Reality, A Biblical Look into the Cosmos, which is available today. It just came out today. You can go to anthonypatch.com, you can go to amazon.com, or doomsdaydoug.com. To get your hands on this book, I would advise everybody order it. Get the, e- the Kindle version if you want, or get the hard copy, as Douglas said in the beginning of the show, because you don't know what's going to ha- be happening with the Internet by the end of this month. Folks, we'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. out Christian apologists, no strangers to fringe topics, folks. They take a radical look at cosmology based on new discoveries in physics and unconventional insights into the Bible. That's uh, S. Douglas Woodward, Anthony Patch, who both gentlemen are with us tonight, and uh, Josh Peck and Gonzo Shamira, also authors, uh, co-authors of the book, Revising Reality, A Biblical Look at the Cosmos, Volume 1. And, you know, each each man, each one of the authors is noted for his willingness to tackle challenges of secular skepticism and, and examine the intersections between modern science and the Bible. And, you know, we were talking in studio today, uh, Joe and I and, and Eric, and uh, talking about the... Uh, Talking about any number of different topics that you could tackle. Oh, Trump and Hillary, and we we've been doing that, of course. And 
and, and many pressing topics. But when you look at really what is important and the coverage, you know, it's it's I, I'm hard pressed to find anyone talking about real significant issues. And this uh, this subject tonight, and referencing Volume One of this two volume study, the the issues are so uh, uh, prescient to the events of today, such as the controversies of angelic incursions into humanity's history. And even into today, given the role of the CERN Large Hadron Collider, their impact on the human genome uh, are considered in this volume. The nature of evil and the role that fallen angels and heavenly uh, heavenly bodies have played in the story of the Bible, as well as rethinking uh, uh, the meaning of logos, contrasting Gnostic and occult uh, concepts as well. So, you see... All of this, instead instead of being, as Greg Jackson often says, an inch deep and a mile wide, we're, we're striking right at the heart of what's important. And uh, I think Joe uh, uh, mentioned about an e-book. That's coming in 90 days or thereabouts on uh, for this book. So for now, get the uh, paper copy of it, and the systems go down or Internet goes down, and at least you've got in your hands a copy of Revising Reality. I'm going to kick it over to Anthony Patch. Anthony, sir, um, Let's lead it. Lead us off this uh, in this segment here. Well, thank you. I'd like to pick up, uh, you know, from Joe. He was talking about ancient history, and I would hope that people wouldn't think that this is a study on just the historical perspective of, um, you know, occult science, occult philosophy. Uh, you know, the just a, a retrospective. This is relevant to today, and I'm going to very quickly speak about the historical basis for what the Sumerians, Babylonians, and Egyptians and Chinese recorded in their history and go beyond further back in time but relate it right back to today. And that is the golden age of Kronos. Kronos is Saturn. It's the timekeeper. It was the timekeeper. Now, the ancient mysteries that have been handed down by secret societies throughout the eons have much of their origin in this myth, the mythos of the golden age of Kronos. And the storyline very quickly is that Earth, Mars, and Saturn um, were conjoined, if you will, within a plasma envelope. And it traveled in this envelope through the cosmos, eventually being trapped by the electromagnetic electromagnetic influence of the sun, not gravity. So we're talking about electromagnetism pulling in Saturn, Mars, and the Earth into uh, this solar system. And early on, they were in an alignment. And this is reflected in the work of scientific research done at the Thunderbolts Project. And so I stand on their shoulders and just paraphrase their work here in that the Golden Age of Kronos is depicted on um, cultural representations, be they um, paintings or drawings or stone carvings, by all of the cultures throughout the ages. So the electric model of the universe is what we're talking about here in the golden age of Kronos. The hidden occulted science is the science of electricity and plasma, the fourth state of matter. This is what is being employed by the largest, most expensive, most complex, most powerful scientific instrument ever created in the recorded modern time and that's the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. So to bring it to today 
why should people read this book if we're talking about all this ancient history? Well, the reason is, is they're, by their own admission, public admission, they are trying to open an interdimensional doorway, a portal to other dimensions. The computer that I mentioned earlier from D-Wave Corporation, the adiabatic quantum computer, operates interdimensionally. In fact, one of their models, they publicly disclosed, the 512, operates by accessing 2 to the 500th power, 2 to the 500th power of parallel dimensions that the computer is accessing. With the latest model I'm disclosing, the 4096, it's 2 to the 4,000th power of parallel dimensions that they're accessing. These are at the quantum level, at the macro scale, at the cosmological scale, the Large Hadron Collider, which is connected to these um, artificially intelligent quantum computers. It's networked with it. They will open a macro scale portal. So the relevancy to today, I ask people to step back and look objectively at the reality today as it exists and imagine if your reality was invaded by a reality from another dimension or multiple dimensions, if you will. What would the opening of an interdimensional portal do to everyone's reality today? That's the question I put forth. Well, <laughs> one one comment. Oh, go ahead, Doug. Well, no, I was just, just Joe. I was just going to say, uh, you know, it would really screw screw most of the people in this world's day up. That's for sure. I don't think they would <laughs> would really know what's happening. Uh, the level of ignorance and and uh, willing uh, stupidity in this world is just staggering at this point. And yeah, you talk about getting getting the world's attention. That'd be a way to do it. I was going to comment that, uh, you know, the, the the age that we're living in now, it, it may be looked looked at if uh, if the Lord tarries, it may be looked back on and talked about as sort of the the age of quantum computing when it first began, and um, because even what was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, the Chinese announced that they had successfully orbited a satellite that uh, creates. Uh, a quantum network, basically a network in which quantum computing is used to generate keys uh, to encrypt messages that are that are physically, from a physics standpoint, impossible to break uh, because it gets into the Heisenberg principle of not, sort of non-observation. You can't observe, you can't intercept a message without destroying it, and um, it talks in terms of particles that are in effect uh interlocked between the satellite and the uh uh they're they're quantumly entangled between the satellite and the ground station and the russians not i think within a week announced that they had done the same thing and you know you wonder if the united states is that far behind or whether we're just not willing to talk about what we might be doing as it relates to uh communications messages and actually employing uh quantum computers in the nature of our communications and in defense so i'll just throw that out as another sort of practical issue that uh, that is in the headlines right now and, and I yes, some, I mean, go ahead. Uh, I have something to add to that, but go ahead. No, I want you to go, please. Well, please. Um, when we look at, 
and, and I struggle with this, and, and folks, perhaps you do as well. When, when I read a book like this, um, you know, sometimes, and even my wife might say, well, you know, with all the stuff that's going on, why, you know, why did you choose that book to read? Um, or, or why, you know, why are you putting your time into that book? Asking me, not, you know, disparagingly, but, but to learn or to, to see the relevance. And, you know, it, it's sometimes you, you struggle. Okay. Well, really, what does this have to do with anything? But you, you soon, you find out that, uh, past is prologue, that everything that, uh, that we've, that we're discovering now has its roots, at least in my view, in um, ancient times. There's nothing new under the sun. And as you've written in this book, The Dangers of CERN, you know, you address the dangers of CERN. You address the opening dimensional portals. Uh, Of course, in speaking now of the D-Wave computer and all of this, the, 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 the man that machine hybrids empowered by the Internet. So it's all, you know, it, it's kind of tying up loose ends, at least in my view. And I just wanted to input that, give input in that, because that to me, it adds to the better understanding, I guess, of now, that's intentional. The, the, um, you know, one of the things that, um, I've, I've not quite come up with a perfect categorization of what it is we're trying to do, but, but one of the things is in this first volume, we're really trying to talk about cosmology from the standpoint of dimensions or dimensionality as well as, as individuals. And so, and by individuals or identities, what I'm really talking about is that we start the, the book off. I talk a bit about the logos in the introduction and an understanding that the nature of good and evil is not as sort of neutral or, I shouldn't say neutral, I should say, um, sort of uh, impersonal forces, but rather good and evil are personal forces, and there are many persons involved in good and evil. And that's kind of, as we bridge into the first chapter uh, that I did with Josh Peck, it, it really gets into the whole context of the angelic incursion and what that means in light of uh, of the Christian understanding, the Judeo-Christian understanding of the issue of good and evil. And so we're really dealing with identities or individuals or personalities as we talk about the fallen angels. We talk about, we have a chapter actually, uh, you know, that asks the question about whether or not angels have DNA. Um, and then we get into a discussion which we really build on the work of, of Michael Heiser uh, in his recent book, The Unseen Realm, talking about the divine council and, and kind of bridging from the, the, the Nephilim, the angels, the fallen angels that gave birth to the Nephilim, uh, then to the what probably are principalities and powers, uh, which is discussed as the host of heaven, the heavenly host, or the divine council in the Old Testament. And uh, so once again, we're still dealing with individuals with personalities. And so m- uh, then we move eventually into the man-machine uh, hybrid concept, transhumanism, the, uh, the idea that the Internet, kind of get into the E.M. Forster who wrote a short story on this almost 100 years ago called The Machine Stops. Uh, and then Kevin Kelly from Wired Magazine that talks about um, the uh, the technium. And so we really kind of then have moved from uh, angels to hybrids to man-machine uh, hybrids, if you will. 
And so we're really dealing with cosmology um, in the in the first, well, I'd say first half of the book, really focused a lot on these sort of individual personalities and what it means uh, in today's world, uh, you know, for uh, for humanity. What what is it that humanity is about ready to become? The concept of the mark of the beast. Could the mark of the beast in effect infect humanity with a some type of a DNA upgrade, as, as Tom Horn has has talked about? Um, so we've got that issue sort of working. So we are trying to, in this book and in the next book, we're trying to sort of tie these things together. We'll talk more about, which is really where Anthony's work comes in, to really talk about the the search to try to unlock dimensions, different dimensions, the portals, uh, how this really relates to the, the planets, the, the Saturn issue and so forth. And so we're dealing with dimensions. In the next book, we will deal a lot with the nature of the electric sun, the planets themselves, um, the concept of what the planets and mythology, how they're connected, and uh, and then how all that really ties back into the notion of the creation of uh, uh, you know of the cosmos. Um, and I think one of the things we do in the book too that I'll mention, and maybe Anthony could could comment on that, is that we're we're trying to show the correlation between the electric universe of Donald Talbot and and uh, or is it is that's correct? I believe it's Don Talbot Michael, and uh, Michael, Michael Talbot. Talbot. Okay, there's a series of of guys, uh, Wallace, Talbot, Scott, that have have been really the principals behind the electric universe. They don't really try to connect it to the biblical uh, account of creation, but there are some stunning parallels between the timing they talk about in terms of the the reconfiguration of the solar system, uh, the recording of these electromagnetic events in the sky when those events were recorded in basically in pictographs and cave drawings around the world and so forth and the timing potential timing of if you're a gap theorist and I'm a gap theorist of when the the disruption of the solar system may have occurred and when um, God in effect recreated restructured the the solar system the planets and then created Adam and Eve and so there's some some striking parallels in terms of the the timing of these things so Anthony the thing I was going to set up for you was really talk about the connection between sort of the the electric universe and and then the sort of the cernology, if you will, that uh, you've really been leading the charge on um, today. Yeah, sure. uh, Mr. Patch, our uh, host, jump in. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I just want to let people know that Anthony Patch is a certified cernologist. Okay, uh, now I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't. I, certified, I don't know. He's got a certifiable. Certifiable, but 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 you know it, it's really it's really neat. And folks, I just want to remind everyone if you're joining us late, uh, our, our two guests uh, tonight, uh, Doug Woodward from DoomsdayDoug.com and Anthony Patch from AnthonyPatch.com, talking about revising reality, a biblical look at into the cosmos, Volume One, just out today on Amazon. I, I'll, I'll qualify that just out today on Amazon, and uh, you, you grab it. It's uh, it's an amazing book, 316 pages, fantastic read, forward by Stan Dale. And, of course, it is all about revising reality from a biblical perspective. It gives you the big picture as to what's happening, well, what happened and what's happening today. So go ahead, uh, Anthony. Well, thank you. Um, the book is giving you an opportunity to look at the details of what 
we four have talked about in our particular venues. We've all been on shows. We've all been, you know, giving our sort of short thumbnail dissertations of what is contained in this book um, over the course of the last two years amongst the four of us. And Douglas, of course, has written many books on his own, at least a dozen. So what we're trying to accomplish here is to give you the deeper understanding of what on shows like yours, on the Hagman Report, we're only, you know, we're limited by time and complexity because the audience oftentimes doesn't want the details and the complexity. But there are those in the audience that can appreciate that and would like to dig in deeper. And so that also was, you know, one of the motivating factors for putting down the details in writing so that people could take it in their own time, at their own pace, and really digest this. And then, as I often call people to do, is to be analytical. Um, be a contrarian. Be a researcher. Uh, look at things systematically. Go do the research. Go take the topics that we're talking about and see for yourself whether we're hitting it or if we've missed the mark. But with that said, you know, when we talk about the Russian satellite, that Doug mentioned being launched and that it's operating with quantum computers and it's using quantum entanglement as a form of communication. I want to go back to the number 4096 because it relates to 2048, which preceded it. 2048 is actually an algorithm. It's called Shor's algorithm. And that is the basis for all secret communications on the planet that are based on RSA cryptology. And RSA keys are what you use to create a secret message and then to decode it. Well, that 2048 algorithm was one of the principal um, touch points that D-Wave set as a goal in developing their first generation quantum computers. And they were able to solve all the prime factors, the prime numbers of this algorithm, which the creator said would take a quantum computer to decipher. The result is D-Wave has a computer system, and this goes back to 2010, computer system that effectively can break all codes around the planet. Now, the Chinese are maintaining that their quantum-entangled, quantum-computer-operated communication satellite system cannot be broken. Well, that's a, that's a misnomer, and I'm going to clarify that. It can be broken if you have a quantum computer that is based on qubits, that is based on this Shor's algorithm 2048, and the new algorithm I'm presenting, which is 4096. I'm going to go so far as, and this is speculation, when I talk about science, I always am quoting from the journals, from the white papers, from the laboratories. But then when I talk about speculation, I underscore it as such, and that's what I'm doing now. I will speculate that if the Russians, as you say, Douglas, also have quantum-entangled, quantum-computer-operated satellite communication systems as the Chinese have, then they are using D-Wave's computers because D-Wave, to date, is the only manufacturer of this type of quantum computer utilizing qubits. There are... Um, lower-powered, fewer-numbered, qubit-based quantum computers that are being developed outside of D-Wave. But I will go so far as to say if they're launching satellites, they're using as their communication system 
D-Wave's own computers because it fits into the one world government system, the mark of the beast system. When I said that the computer has the equivalent processing power of 7 billion human brains, that is the mark of the beast system in which people, unless they take the mark, will not be able to buy or sell. So I'm going to stop at that point. And that that uh, quantum satellite that's launched, I read that it has the ability, uh, basically, um, it can turn what technology the U.S. military uses uh, into obsolete technology and has the ability to uncover the uh, stealth technology the U.S. has along with other uh, high-ranging capabilities and that it's mm-hmm. the first of its kind and uh, it gives them a, a clear advantage in the uh, military capabilities. And, and just real quick, just so people understand, a quantum computer uh, taps directly into the fundamental fabric of reality. It's a strange and counterintuitive world of quantum mechanics to speed computation, that according to D-Wave systems itself, uh, themselves. So, go ahead, sir. That was uh, just a comment I was going to make. It's It's why when you really talk about the cosmos, Today, you really have to, as I said, you know, it's kind of a catchphrase. You have to talk about it at the lowest levels, the level, the quanta, at the, at the gluon level, all the way up to the galaxy level. It's, uh, it's all interrelated. And, uh, that's really the age that we live in now. And it's why it, you know, this isn't, this isn't just a study of, of ancient mythology. It is a very practical, um, set of, of things to understand and to know about what's going on in the world, as well as, uh, as an attempt to to really reconcile um, the ancient text of the Bible with what we know about or what we or many scientists are speculating about is the nature of reality and uh, and so we are we are you know when we talk about the electric universe we talk about what's going on in CERN and so forth we're we're really actually ahead of academia because it, it is unorthodox to talk about these kinds of things and and yet they tend to fit more into the biblical scenario the prophetic scenario and uh, the way that the the cosmos has been created based upon of course our understanding so uh, so it's a it's a particularly relevant topic i i should think Well, let's jump into the electric model because, Joe, you asked me to sort of explain what the real science that's going on at CERN is based upon. And that's electricity. That is electric plasma, ionized gas, the fourth state of matter. Now, for many years, CERN has spoken of things such as black holes and wormholes. Now, these are gravity-based models, meaning that they use gravity to explain the behavior in the cosmos of stars, planets, the attraction of matter, the coalescing of matter into a black hole. A black hole is still theoretical. It's never been proven. It's never been reproduced in the laboratory. And there are not there there are plenty of mainstream physicists that are outside of CERN that are contrarian to the model the gravity model, specifically if we go back to thunderbolts, you will find in there noted scientists who say it's not gravity that's causing what we are observing in the cosmos, nor what is occurring at the quantum level. It is electric influence. It's charged states, charged particles, attraction and repelling, just like a magnet. 
Now, to reinforce what I'm saying here, that the real science that is being utilized at CERN is not a gravity-based model of the universe. It is an electric model of the universe, and they are employing plasma in the form of a new particle accelerator called the AWAKE project. This is a plasma wake field accelerator, and it is only 30 meters in length, but it's a thousand times more powerful than the 27-kilometer main ring of the LHC. But they're conjoining these two machines as we speak. They are bringing the power of the two machines together. The large machine is pre-accelerating particles, feeding them into the smaller machine, and then realizing tremendous increases in power. Now, last October, I said that the Large Hadron Collider was operating at 13 tera or, you know, trillions of uh, electron volts, which is hard to relate to, but just to look at the number, they're operating at trillions of electron volts. They are going to take a jump, I said in October, to one quadrillion electron volts. CERN came out three weeks later and acknowledged what I had said prior that they were going to and that they did hit that for a spike in their power. The reason I'm citing that history is that with the combination of these two colliders at CERN, they're going to jump from 13 tera electron volts to the quadrillions, not just one quadrillion, but to 20 quadrillion electron volts. It doesn't matter whether you... Yes, sir. If you can hold that thought, we're up against the break. So when we come back, we'll start there, um, going to the quadrillionth in power. Folks, you're listening to Anthony Patch and Douglas Woodward on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stay with us. Report. Folks, uh, you're going to want to go back and re-listen to this. Our archive is uh, accessible via hagmanandhagman.com. Two very special guests, Anthony Patch from anthonypatch.com and Doomsday Doug, <laughs> Doug Woodward, co-authors along with Gon Shimura and Josh Peck of Revising Reality, uh, a um, biblical look into the cosmos, volume one. Folks, this is a great, great read, and it kind of ties a lot of current events, former events, and even future events to some extent, uh, t- ties it together. Uh, understand that volume one, it's, it's a springboard to, uh, the big picture. And, and speaking of the big picture and springboards and, uh, just kind of, you know, as you sit there listening to all of this, um, sometimes the news every day is overwhelming. Of course, you know that, uh, God is in control. However, do you ever feel like you want to just get away that, you know, hey, just take me away for a little bit? Well, we've got the answer. We found this amazing getaway at an amazing price. The Pineapple Beach Club in Antigua. Right now, for just $99 per person per night, you can enjoy an all-inclusive holiday getaway on a white sandy beach. Oh, man. Yeah. Go to pineapplebeachclub.com, but we made it even easier for you. If you go to hagmanreport.com on the right-hand side, you'll see the link. You'll see a pineapple. Click on that. That's 
That's a link to pineapplebeachclub.com. Or if if you just want to call them, you can do that to 800-772-8711. Just a little bit about your destination. It's the Pineapple Beach Club. They've got all, it's all inclusive, meals, snacks, beverages, even the alcohol. If you want to have wine with your dinner or whatever, resort activities, all taxes, all service charges, they're all included. They've got five restaurants on site, a tranquility spa, two freshwater pools, windsurfing, snorkeling, kayaking, sailing, and, and much more. Yeah, I think I'll just stay in the room and watch TV, right? No, I don't think so. If you're, even if you're planning a destination wedding, they can do that too. And that's, uh, that's kind of how we kind of found out about this. Uh, my, my stepson is planning a destination wedding. And this is the choice there, okay? 365 beaches, one for every day of the year. It's located uh, for those geographically challenged. Antigua is located in the Caribbean. It's the largest speaking uh, leeward island and it, the weather, oh my goodness. T- tell me if you're looking at, uh, wind, rain, snow even, uh, they've got the magnificent weather, pristine white sand beaches and colorful cultural festivals. It's great. Folks, if you're, when you're ready, and, and you should be ready to leave the chaos behind this year, get some well-deserved rest, relaxation before everything really comes down around you. And while you're on the way out there, okay, or while you're there, I can't think of a better, better thing to do than, than poolside or oceanside or seaside that is on that white sandy beach then reading a copy of revising reality okay seriously grab that book order the book and then get on a plane take advantage of the pineapple beach club simply go to pineapplebeachclub.com or call 800-772-8711 to book your all-inclusive holiday again it's less than a hundred dollars per night per person ages 16 and up Yes, you can see the website for details. You can enjoy everything I just mentioned and much more for under $100 per person per night. That's, folks, that is pineapplebeachclub.com, pineapplebeachclub.com. You won't want to miss out on this offer. It expires soon, pineapplebeachclub.com. We're talking with Anthony Patch from anthonypatch.com and <clears throat> Douglas Woodward from doomsdaydug.com right before the break. Uh, Mr. Patch was talking about the power levels, the, what's powering the Stern Hadron Collider and, and the, how the power was continuing to be increased. Mr. Patch, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pick up right where you left off. Alrighty. It sounds like doom and gloom. It sounds like my partner, Doomsday Doug, has got the better of us here with uh, talking about doom and gloom. But I just want to underscore that the power that they are going to achieve is for the purpose of opening a portal. Now, that may sound like hyperbole on my part or speculation, but it's not, because I go to the Bible, I go to Scripture, I go to Revelation 9, that tells me exactly what God's plan is. And people often ask me, will CERN be successful? Will they open this gateway to another dimension? Will they open the bottomless pit? Yes, it's God's plan. And that's why I spend so much time researching the physics and the occult agenda behind it, and why I'm presenting this book with my friends is so that people will see that these are the facts. This is the evidence. This is evil personified. When they put out a video from CERN last year called Symmetry, which is nothing more than an occult ritual, it's a satanic ritual communicating with the other side. And then this year, June 1st, there's the occult ritual 
at the Goddard Tunnel in Switzerland, less than 100 miles from CERN. And they depict in their rituals on the projection screens the opening of the portal and demonic entities entering our reality. You know, I just want people to understand that this is the reality of what we're dealing with. This is evil personified. It is a agenda that is driven by Lucifer himself. And we present the evidence in the book of this. But that is not for the purpose of fear-mongering. It is not for causing people to become depressed or fearful of the future. It is, in my opinion, speaking for myself, it is my mission field for calling people to Christ. Because very simply, in my parlance, in the way that I look at it, you have a simple choice. You've been given free will, and the choice is go to the light or go to the dark. You go to Jesus Christ and save your soul for all eternity, or you go with Lucifer, you go with the dark. And unfortunately, there are an awful lot of brilliant people in this world that have fallen under the grand deception, have fallen for the lie, the original lie, that ye shall be as gods and achieve immortality. And that is also what is behind their quest at CERN and other laboratories for not only the opening of portal, but also defeating death. If you, for example, follow the venture capital money in Silicon Valley and you look at D-Wave, where their computers are sold to Google, to NASA, to Ames Research Laboratory, to the NSA, they're doing work that is modifying DNA, utilizing these computers, as well as particle accelerators. Particle accelerators were originally developed for medical purposes for determining the origin and structure of DNA, and now for the manipulation of that DNA. They believe that they can actually defeat death through the science. And in his hubris, Lucifer actually believes that he can ascend to the throne of God. And in my parlance, again, he believes that he can kill God and kill God's angels. And that's what's coming. But it isn't for us to be fearful. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we put on the full armor of God. And our DNA, from a science perspective, is shielded, is protected. But more importantly than our physicality, our soul is saved for all eternity. And I'll get off my soapbox and let you guys talk. To defeat death in the in the minds of the Luciferians, the elites, the in my opinion... George Soros and the likes of him is to avoid judgment and to become like gods but uh, again that's just my opinion uh, but I think that that's a mindset and that was explained to me uh, roughly the same time during that conversation about Saturn but go ahead Doug um, yeah if we can go back to what you, what you just mentioned Saturn I'm going through the our, our email and we have a few questions one, it says, if possible, can anyone mention how the black cube of Saturn is connected, uh, the hexagon cloud slash storm above Saturn's North Pole? If a three-dimensional cube is projected into a two-dimensional surface, it will cast a hexagon shadow. And they go mm-hmm. on to say maybe that's why Saturn is connected to a cube. It's marked right on the planet. That's correct. Any- I'll, I'll go ahead and field that one. Um, yes, there's a hexagon at the North Pole of Saturn. And it, if you do um, unfold it, so to speak, it forms a cross. It actually does form a cross. That 
that cube that is generated is reflected as a hexagon at the northern pole. So it, um, it essentially, like a mirror, is reflecting the internal contents of the planet. It's only a gaseous body. It's a, it's a dwarf star. It's a former brown star. But the point also about the northern pole of Saturn that is reflecting this cube, that cube is manifest because of synchrotron energies. Synchrotron energies are gamma rays and x-rays that are produced by a synchrotron particle accelerator, which means if you accelerate particles through a magnetic field and use the magnets to bend the direction of those accelerated particles, the direction of travel, into a curve, into a ring, then you will also generate x-rays and um, what was I just saying? Gamma rays and also um, electro, uh, electromagnetic lines of force. Sorry, I'm being distracted here. Um, electromagnetic lines of force are also produced by these synchrotron energies. Those energies create this cube and maintain the integrity of the cube within the body of the planet. Now, part of what I explain in the book here is that they're trying to recreate what I described earlier as the golden age of Kronos and recreate that by electrically enhancing the existing electrical connection that exists between all the planets, as I said earlier. In the electric model of the universe, everything's electrically connected, especially the planets. One of the goals with the Large Hadron Collider is to produce what are known as Birkeland currents. This is a twisted pair of charged particles, looks just like a DNA strand. These can be light years in length. They've been photographed by the Hubble Space Telescope. But the LHC will generate Birkeland currents that will be projected to the southern pole of Saturn and reconnect, or as I say, enhance the electrical connection between the two planets for the pur purpose of communicating with this black cube that these um, societies such as the Black Sun Society have been for eons worshiping. You even see this represented at the Vatican. So most all of the religions, save for the Christian religion, have worshipped Saturn in one form or another. And now physics is going to enhance that connection during the time of the opening of the abyss. Let me just interject, uh, Anthony, uh, just to be fair to all religions, that, um, that the uh, Muslims circle this giant black cube in the in the midst of uh, of Mecca, um, which um, is the, uh, the part of the Hajj, and um, so this this large black cube, a building in the center of the this you know this uh, this large what I would consider looks almost like a stadium um, where they uh, they are basically walking around, uh, almost mimicking the rings of Saturn. Is mm -hmm. almost what it looks like. So it's uh, it's at the heart of of many religions, and uh, so it's a fascinating uh, tidbit. Go ahead. Yeah, and th and think about uh, the Ground Zero Memorial with the with the inverted cube and the the way that's designed. Just as an aside. Yeah, and there was actually at the opening ceremony of that uh, memorial, they actually had people in black robes moving counterclockwise, just like at Mecca around that cube so this is all Saturn worship the whole thing just goes right back to that including the physics the hexagon 
at the northern pole of Saturn is reproduced in the geometric arrangement of the detectors within the Large Hadron Collider itself. So this goes into mathematics and more specifically into geometry and sacred geometry. And therefore, you see these connections that are we would consider to be mathematical and scientific in nature on the surface. But if you dig down into the symbolism, you will find what is really driving science and guiding science. And let's talk about Tesla for a moment. Let's talk about the, the ancient Egyptians. Let's talk about ancient technologies. All the way down through, you will find, including in the more modern times, um, Werner von Braun from NASA, former Nazis, you know, uh, rocket scientist, he said, as did Tesla and many others through the ages, we get our information from the other side. That's what Werner von Braun said about NASA. We get our information from the other side. So do the people at CERN. That's uh, fascinating stuff and uh, something thought to be of science fiction not too long ago. Um, uh, Mr. Patch, if we could get into a, an interesting subject here that uh, Mr. Woodward passed me a note about, um, about the killing of God and the connection with the purpose of the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Well, the story of the Tower of Babel, in, in one respect, is you know supposedly they were trying to communicate with God or reach to the heavens or create their you know stairway to heaven, so to speak. Um, it was also a technological machine. It was a machine for actually communicating with angels that were providing forbidden information that God did not want mankind to have. And again, this goes to the whole discussion. You know, Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, those guys talk about this extensively, the fallen angels. And I commend them for their work. So the Tower of Babel is, in the ancient times, what CERN is today. CERN is a much more complex but same type of methodology and same type of intent as the Tower of Babel is reflected in the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And it will be successful this time, although the Tower of Babel at that time was destroyed by God. And also, you know, the uh, the Nephilim, the merging of the DNA, so to speak, of angels with uh, with human DNA. And that's going on today. The manipulation of DNA, and that's a whole long discussion, but DNA has been sequenced. You can restructure DNA from the base four chemicals into any sequence, any pattern of DNA coding you want. You can create your own biological life forms. You're not creating life, but you're rearranging the components, the essence of life. And that's what was going on during the time of the Tower of Babel. So we're in the days of Noah. My, my dad asks, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to talk about the DNA? Well, yeah, just if you can. Uh, wow. Yeah, there, the, the, you got to talk about the uh, the connection between, you know, the <laughs> Anthony's personal experience, uh, the DNA, uh, the teleportation, the DNA, and all that. I mean, this gets into unlocking some. 
uh, somewhat speculative, but it's based upon, as I say, Anthony connects the dots. They're very large dots, though, and uh, and so the, the speculation is uh, is well well grounded, if you will. But but Anthony, you should talk about the uh, you know the issue of DNA, the DNA of demons, uh, what's being passed through the portals. Um, and so forth. Sure. It's uh, it's it's pretty crazy, but it's it, like I said, it, you're connecting really big dots. <laughs> well, one of the, uh, the I mentioned earlier, we're talking about synchrotron par- particle accelerators using for medical research and specifically for looking at DNA. They use what are called hard X-rays. They use for high luminosity X-rays, the most powerful X-ray source on the planet. Um, two of them at UC Berkeley at the Advanced Light Source Building, but just this week, uh, Stanford with their t- Stanford with their linear that's okay with their linear accelerator. Stanford just announced that they have produced the most powerful hard X-ray source on the planet, and it is for the purpose of X-ray crystallography. This means that you are looking or inferring, as they call it, using X-rays, the shape of the DNA components at the nanoscale. We're talking about 8 to 12 nanometer scale of the components of DNA. So without getting too deep in the weeds, you're using particle accelerators to look at DNA. Dr. Craig Ventner, the Longevity Institute, La Jolla, California, people want to look at a source for information. He was the one who first sequenced human DNA. It was his own DNA. They did that at Berkeley with the Advanced Light Source Building, Synchrotron Particle Accelerator, Hard X-Ray Source. And in Walnut Creek, just over the hill from Berkeley, they developed the Human Genome Laboratory in which the sequencing took place. Dr. Craig Ventner and his associates are at the leading edge of sequencing DNA for the purpose of recreating DNA in the pattern that they choose and they desire. And they have successfully transmitted what I call, or they even call, digitized DNA, converting the pattern of DNA into ones and zeros, and then transmitting that pattern over the Internet through the cloud, and then using a sequencing machine to reassemble, to decode that digital information, and use the four four base chemicals of DNA to then create an identical copy at another location, of the source biological DNA. Now, in essence, if you wanted to, you could build a small spacecraft, put the sequencer in there, put the base chemicals in there, shoot it off to Mars, let the sequencer build the DNA, allow it to grow, and you have your astronauts on the planet without having to send the bodies and the larger life support system, um, you know, rocket or spaceship to another planet. So if you take that scenario, which Dr. Craig Ventner puts out, and many of his other researchers put out that same similar scenario, if you look at what's going on with the opening of a portal and the communication between our reality and another reality, I will speculate, based upon the research and extrapolating the research, that what will come through the portal will be digitized DNA of demons demons in a solid form that have had their DNA sequenced and then transmitted through the portal to our reality to be reassembled. And the reason that I say that that is highly probable 
is because the information for sequencing DNA in our reality was given to us from the other side. And I'll stop there. Folks, I mean, I bet you these two guys are a real hit at, like, cocktail parties. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) They won't let us in. Uh, yeah, but we have but, to drink in moderation, so it, you know, it, it's a, it's a limitation. <laughs> it's you a know, limitation. I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm listening to, to both of you and, and Anthony Patch talking about this, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, it's pretty bad when you, when you can't even, I can, I'm not even sure what to say. You know, I, I suppose I can say this. When you were describing that process for, um, intellectually, um, Moronic people like me, I think, in this in this subject, it almost felt like you were describing like a three D three D printer with the components being um, life based. I suppose, in a sense, yeah, yeah. that's actually wow. that's, that's a pretty good analogy. It's a you know, and and I had um, apart from what Anthony just said, I had read about the same same idea, and it actually. Uh, if you own stock today, um, you know, uh, Elon, Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos are working on competing with each, with each other to build rockets. Uh, the reality is, uh, you know, in about, what, 15, 10, 15 years, you may not want to be building rockets. You may want to just be teleporting things into space and back again. And uh, so you talk about, you know, leapfrogging the competition. That's that's really what the promise of teleportation is, and and uh, it's something that, that, that Josh talks about in the last chapter. We try to bring some resolution to Volume 1 by talking about the issue of, uh, you know, of quantum computing and quantum science and what it means in today's world. But, but it's, uh, you know, this is, this is absolutely staggering. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always amazed because I, I feel like that, uh, that I, I egg Anthony on to, to push a little further. And I'm always stunned that he, he knows more about some subject than what I might have expected. So, uh, I'm not a very good lawyer because I don't necessarily know the answer he's going to give. <laughs> that's well, right. That's you know, okay, that, but that's right. <laughs> no, ahead, I, I got to throw this back. I got to I got to take that tennis ball and smack it back because the writing that is in this book is all credited to Douglas. Yeah, we put the ideas down, we put our own words in there, but this man massaged this thing and makes me look like I really know what I'm talking about, and I don't. I mean, I say that you know. Metaphorically. Metaphorically yeah, metaphorically. But I mean, really, this book is a, is, is university level textbook material. And it isn't a reflection of my expertise in writing. It's his. So yeah, maybe I can stump some of your prodding a little bit once in a while, but boy, I can't write like you do. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. So I guess the one thing I would say is that, um, we certainly are trying to make this, though, to the point where it is accessible to a broad audience. And uh, so I think I think you'll find that it is, and and you'll find that we we jump from theological subjects to uh, you know religious philosophy to physics, and uh, you know we we're we're kind of bringing together you know thinkers like Joseph P. Farrell and uh, the guys at the at the uh, Thunderbolts Project. I really massacred their uh, their names, but it's uh, like David Talbot and Wallace Thornhill, Donald Scott. These are guys that we owe a great debt to. They've done some just amazing research. 
research. And kind of what we're doing is sort of baptizing it and kind of bringing it into a perspective of, of what if their conjecture, you know, and their science is correct. What does that mean in terms of how it fits into a biblical, biblical chronology? And I, I'm always now cautious about using that word chronology because it, it implies chronos. Uh, and so I'm a little careful, but, but a, but a timeline, if you will. And, uh, and so, uh, we're, we're trying to reach out to some real leading edge thinkers and try to bring these things together. And, and, uh, certainly, um, you know, the work that, that Gans did in talking about the man machine, uh, connection, the, you know, and so forth. I gotta, gotta get Anthony and Gans on a show with you guys as well as, uh, Josh and, and Anthony on a show with you guys because they each go into areas that we're not even really talking about tonight that are substantive parts of the book and, and really help flesh out and tell, tell the whole story. And, we're coming uh, and up so against anyway, the break. Uh, yeah, Douglas Woodward, hold that thought. We're up against the break. Revising reality. We're talking with Anthony Patch and Douglas Woodward. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. Reality is the book that has been released today, a biblical look into the cosmos. Cosmos. Uh, both two of the four co-authors, Douglas Woodward and Anthony Patch, are with us today. i got a uh, question for, for both you guys, um, and we'll start with you, Anthony. What was one of the things or one of the most important things you learned um, from the other authors in this book? That they're a lot smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be going around. I tend to be flippant, and I have to apologize for that. It's just that I try to balance out this stuff because I, the last thing I want is for people to become depressed or you know morose over what we're presenting here. And you know, I like to say God has a great sense of humor. Not that I do, but that He does, and that's how He keeps me somewhat in balance, even though I say I'm certifiable. Um, you know, I, I think that what really impresses me is there's two things. First of all, confirmation. I see crossovers in our research all the time because we're tending to step on each other's research. And yet it reinforces for each of us that we're on the right path. And because we are Christians, we are guided by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not all that much of a surprise or a leap to see these crossovers occurring. But what it does for me is it encourages me to continue this pursuit, not just because I feel like it's my mission, my calling, but because I owe my collaborators, my other three co-authors, as much support in their areas of research that I can because I'll run across things that I can feed to them that they understand better than me. So walking away from this whole experience it's it's been edifying it's been reinforcing it's encouraging and it shows me that putting our energies together we can really come up with something that is tangible understandable and useful 
for people so that if they need to make that choice to go to Jesus, as I said, we hope and pray that this will be a tool in that direction. Exactly. And, and you know, Mr. Woodward, you had written something, um, of course, about tonight's uh, show, doomsdaydog.com is his website. The point of all this is that the universe is well-ordered. It is it was designed and shaped for humanity to live in it, despite the fact that uh, Sagan and his colleagues, and, and you know, even um, as we see today, now I'm kind of going off script from what you wrote, but we're seeing the theories, the religion of Darwin, the, the, being the holes are being shot in there, uh, you know, the uh, in his theories and, and the religion of Darwinism, um, it, where you know we're. According to Sagan and others, we're just a carbon-based life form, tiny in stature now, or a quaint blue planet, this blue marble, or ordering, ordering, uh, orbiting a very large uh, uh, or a very average star. You know, to to attempt to minimize God's creation and humanity is what the Luciferians, the globalists, have done. And you're blowing holes in all of this. You're just punching holes in, mm. in, in this, and that's kind of the essence here. So, yeah, Mr. Woodward, yeah. Go ahead. yeah. Thanks. I, uh, it really is because if you if you look at I, I, in the introduction, I talk a bit about you know what is it that causes the secular atheist to find reasons to be hopeful or to find meaning in life. You know, for Carl Sagan, it was purely and, and solitarily just the sense of awe that he got in sort of looking at, you know, the great nebula and the, in the, in the cosmos and, and just the sort of the wonderment of, of uh, seeing these incredible sights in the stars and the galaxies and so forth. Um, but, you know, that's really all the meaning is for him because otherwise as you as you sort of said there it's you know it's just like well we're just a you know kind of trivial uh, creatures on a small planet and an average sun on the edge of a, the Milky Way galaxy if you look at um, someone like Richard Dawkins the evolutionist you know he wrote a book called like evolution is the only game in town uh, you know these are the guys that have the gloom and doom I mean to think that the evolutionary principle uh, that there's this some great principle that is driving us progressively forward that this is the reason to have hope uh, when in fact science itself talks in terms of entropy the fact that where the universe is going is eventually a death in the cold, where all that is just eventually uh, stars move so far apart from one another that they just go cold and die a cold death. I mean, science does not give us a real sense of meaning. Uh, it does not give us a sense of purpose. But instead, if we look at the Judeo-Christian scripture, if we look at the Bible and what it teaches us about the fact that there is a, a principle of sort of decay or corruption in the creation, but that decay and corruption is going to be overcome. Uh, as Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, that the creation has been subjected to futility, but for a purposeful hope that as as the as we are the children of God, we will eventually be glorified. And when we are glorified at the return of Christ, all of creation will 
all of a sudden be it's like rebirth it will shed this corruption and it will experience uh, whether it's recreated or this principle is somehow eradicated from the universe uh, God is going to bring back um, a perfected universe again and you know as I sometimes say earth is a cosmically decisive planet. In other words, it, it doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't really matter whether we believe in a geocentric universe or a heliocentric universe or, or none of the above. The reality is that it is a sort of anthro-theocentric universe, meaning a God-man relationship between God and man, and that it's our glorification that we are promised that the creation itself will be revitalized and, and made new again. So of all people, we have great reason to hope. So uh, I, I believe that Sagan and Niels deGrasse Tyson and all those, they were well-meaning men and they had great visions and so forth but at the end of the day we have hope we have the the promise that our bodies will be restored we will be immortal but we won't be a digitized avatar we will be um, revitalized and reborn in some type of, of fleshly body that as Paul says can take on immortality and once um, once we are at that state we are in fact being allowed to share and the glory of God. That's one of the key themes that Paul talks about is how we will be glorified. And so that is, you know, that is the ultimate cosmic principle that all of creation is heading towards that destination. Very uh, interesting. And again, it says in the scriptures there's nothing new under the sun. And it's hard to imagine when you look at how far we are today technologically um, what could have matched that back in ancient times um, and it's very hard to put together where where should we go from here gentlemen let's go back to the large hadron collider okay why not <laughs> you know um, talked about the merging of these machines it kind of sounds like the merging of human and angel DNA but when they merged the ring-based collider, the LHC, with the AWAKE project's linear accelerator, it's only 30 meters in length, but a thousand times more powerful. The new name, and I don't know if I've shared this on your show before, but the new name within the scientific circles, the physicists and engineers at CERN, they don't call it the LHC anymore. So people might be interested, I don't know, in the new name, but it's called the VH. EEP. So it's capital V, capital H, capital E, small e, capital P. That stands for Very High Energy Electron Proton Collider. That's what's going to generate the 20 peta electron volts. So in our book, and Douglas, I want to thank you for bringing this research out in the book, um, we talk about Tesla and Einstein. I like to put Einstein in the gravity model of the universe, which is what is put out for public consumption by CERN and by the scientific community in, at large. For example, black holes, as I said. The Tesla model of the universe is the electric model of the universe. And people that know about Tesla's research know that he was focused on electricity. But there's a gentleman, a physicist, a Russian physicist that Douglas brought to bear 
in our book by the name, and I cannot pronounce this, but his name is Nikolai, and I'll Kozarev. 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 Thank you, Kozarev. That's right. Now, he predated Tesla. Tesla actually studied his research and his work, and his work in the Soviet um, regime was classified top secret. Now, here's the thing I want to point out. He had said that, and, and Tesla later reflected much the same statement, but he said, the, um, the physical medium behaves as a fluid to solid bodies and a solid to light and heat. Moreover, with sufficiently high voltage and frequency, the medium itself could be accessed. Now, you have to define the medium, but let's, for the purpose of what we're discussing today and in this book, accessing the medium is what, in the parlance of those at CERN, when they say they are trying to recreate the Big Bang, which is a gravity-based model, an Einsteinian model of the universe, accessing the ether, as Tesla had said, or the medium, is recreating the moment of the Big Bang. It is reaching that finite point, that singularity from which everything sprang. Now, I don't adhere to the Big Bang theory, but if you move over to the Tesla model and the electric model of the universe, and we talk about the medium, we're talking about plasma, as I mentioned earlier. But even deeper than the plasma, at the quantum level, we are talking about separating quantum particles, breaking what is called the nuclear bond. There's four primary forces in nature, but breaking the nuclear bond between quarks in a quark-gluon condensate known as strangelets, and you've heard me mention this before, but breaking that bond results in opening up the dimensional portal. So with sufficient high voltage and frequency, the medium itself can be accessed. This is what we're talking about, and this is what he described back in 1891. So the sufficiently high voltage and frequency is what they seek by combining the two machines into the VHEEP and achieving 20 tera electron volts. That allows them access to the medium. The, um, wow. the comment wow. I, I was going to make about uh, that, that Kozarev had particularly talked about, this is, there's actually uh, a guy named Roger Boscovich that was uh, Bohemian, I guess, and uh, someone that, uh, that Tesla studied. Boscovich uh, worked in the 18th century, and, um, and so Tesla was quite a fan of Boscovich, but Boscovich was coming up with, with ideas that it took a Tesla to actually exploit. No one could deal with what he was talking about back in 1760 or something like that. He was he was actually, although he was from Czechoslovakia, in effect today's Czechoslovakia, um, he was made a member of the uh, the Royal Society in London. This guy was uh, a genius, well, you know, literally two and a half centuries ahead of his time. Um, but the in effect what, uh, and Joseph E. Farrell talks a bit about this in, in his works, talks about the medium, the plasma. Then one of the reasons that uh, the ether, the concept of the ether as a medium, which is something that Einstein 
had a love-hate relationship with in terms of whether or not he would would agree that there is an ether, um, which, by the way, is the Greek word for atmosphere, um, that, that this ether, in fact, seems to possess energy. That's why it was discovered when um, the really the hydrogen bombs were, in fact, uh, exploded or ignited, that the energy calculation, the amount of energy that actually was emitted, was far more than what the physicists had anticipated and had calculated. And what they ultimately came to realize is that the, that the explosion was, in fact, igniting the medium. In effect, it was, it was gaining or leaching power from the ether. And it was bringing that, it was sucking that into the explosion itself. And so, and that's kind of what really the electric universe idea is, is that we are surrounded by plasma. There is no real vacuum in space. Plasma uh, runs throughout space. And in fact, that's why that there are these Birkeland currents that can traverse, in fact, as, as Anthony said, light years, because there is a medium that propagates those currents, just like Air is a medium that propagates sound. If we didn't have uh, didn't have air, you wouldn't be able to hear sound. Sound uh, facilitates sound waves, and so plasma in space, in effect, facilitates the the currents that pass from stars or from planet to planet and so forth. Which is uh, again, it's the basis of the the notion of the electric universe. I'll stop. Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, okay, so. Yeah, I'm not even going to comment on that because I'm not even sure I, I can. I, I understand what you said, uh, but I'm going to have to re-listen to this on the archive just to just to be sure. I mean, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, it just means plasma is everywhere. It means yeah, there is so, no empty space. It's everywhere. Right. We're, so we're kind of swimming in. It would be like us in a swimming pool, all the, except yes. you just can't feel what's around. Uh, okay, I got it. Yeah. Is that right, Anthony? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, reinforce the idea, the concept that the planets are all electrically connected. But let's go out to the cosmos. Everything's connected. In fact, they're all quantum entangled. Einstein, just to give him some credit, he said that um, quantum entanglement is spooky action at a distance. In other words, you've got two particles, let's say, and they don't even have to be identical particles, but you stimulate or measure or affect a particle here in this reality and light years across the cosmos another particle that is quantum entangled, that is electrically connected, and I'm going to underscore that in a moment, is identically and and <laughs> at the same time affected. So this goes to the discussion of time. Now, Einstein had his theory of relativity and time and mass, you know, bending space and, and curving time and wormholes came from that and black holes came from that discussion. The point that I would like to underscore that I think is reinforced by the scientists that we're presenting in the book in addition to Tesla is that quantum entanglement does not involve time. At the quantum level, time does not exist. Now, this was something that Einstein didn't really have a firm grasp on because he lacked the scientific tools and instruments to be able to make accurate measurements to prove this. But if you have a particle that simultaneously can affect another particle. There is no transmission of a signal between two quantum entangled particles. They just exist in a state that is simultaneous to one another. 
Now, this is a concept that's difficult to wrap your head around because at the quantum level, the standard model, the classical model of physics and the laws of physics do not apply. It's a whole new ballgame. So we have to somewhat take it at, in, at a face value or take it in faith that it quantum entanglement don't. exists. I was going to say, Anthony, in, in some ways it actually reinforces the biblical concept because what it's really saying, and this is this is the thing, Doug and Joe, that I think can, can in some ways simplify it, is just assume for a moment that the speed of life, the speed of light, only pertains to certain kinds of energy, like light energy and radio uh, and so forth. But what what Anthony's saying, which is which is really stunning when you think about it, is that two particles on the opposite sides of the universe that are separated by literally billions of light years could instantly talk to each other. And once you understand that the speed of light is not a constant, it's not a barrier to travel or to communication, all of a sudden <clears throat> Einstein's concepts, it's not that they don't apply, just like Newton's concepts still applied in an Einsteinian universe, they still applied to a certain point, but then they had limitations. Einstein's ideas apply to a point, but then there are areas where they don't apply. And what's being discovered is, in fact, communication can occur. In effect, we could, you know, two angels could talk to each other, let's say, uh, completely across the universe from one another and communicate instantly. There is no, you know, radio wave that has to travel 186,000 miles per second. Once you understand that, then all of a sudden the idea of time travel, time travel is in effect not really applicable, uh, but there's really no, there's no time that has to elapse uh, for communication to occur. So, you know, let's assume for a second that God's on the other side of the universe. We can talk to God instantly. He can talk to us instantly. Now, the reality of how we think about God spatially and so forth, that's that's not really a, a good way to think about it, but it points out that that the the kinds of limitations that we have been taught in our cosmology, really since we were kids or young adults, whatever, old enough to understand some of these concepts, that that some of these things are just wrong. They they aren't true, and uh, that's really some of the stuff that we're we're trying to point out in the book. And in fact, they may be much more like what the Bible says than what Einstein taught us, and so forth. So I'll stop so, there. Okay. So, so what I'm hearing is your well your research and the. Um, I want to be careful here. Uh, I suppose your your research, your findings, which are uh, which are speaking of now and contained in, in your book, uh, revising reality, they do more to verify the Bible or the biblical reality, the biblical mm-hmm. reality, as right. opposed to scientific yeah. junk. And I, I, that's a nice word for it. It's, yeah, Whereas, it's not junk. It's just that it's confined to a certain context. Okay. And so the rules, right. the rules that are set up by Newton or by Einstein, they're rules that apply, but they have a context and they have a limitation. It, and that self-imposed limitation, or, or, or actually putting God in a box, like we spoke mm-hmm. to Jonathan Kahn yesterday. That's right. He is not okay. in a box. 
Okay, and, and, and there it is, folks. And see, when we talk with guests like Ted Brower, you know, we talk about scalar waves and, you know, prayer and all of this. Um, this is why, I mean, all, see, all of our guests have this, uh, you, you getting the idea that, that we're actually kind of connecting the dots on a larger sense through our guests and, and our guests tonight, Anthony Patch from AnthonyPatch.com and uh, S. Doug Woodward from DoomsdayDoug.com. And, and their new book is Revising Reality, available today, out today on Amazon, but uh, um, accessible uh, on multiple venues, including AnthonyPatch.com um, and Amazon as well. But uh, so, so all of this, I mean, this... So, so really, what you said earlier too about Anthony, what you said about you know, no fear, we shouldn't be, none of this should make us uh, anxious or anything like that. Man, you're right because what what you're doing is, well, I mean, all of this is this is, if nothing else, verifying, authenticating the fingerprints of God on on humanity and the fact that that we are. God's creatures. I mean, I mean, not that we needed authentication or that, that needed authentication, but it, it should make us really feel empowered by uh, your writings. I, I, I didn't mean to kind of go off on a tangent like that, but no, that's but, that's that's right. Well, no, I think you're you're just trying to absorb some <laughs> pretty, pretty oh, yeah. viscous material here. But uh, you know, it really is what we're what we're trying to do is to say, hey, Christians, Judeo Judeo Christian worldview or understanding of the cosmos is is so encouraging because it it reinforces that the that the story of humankind is at the center of the com- cosmos. It is not like you know, Carl Sagan, who was a wonderful man, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a wonderful man. It's not like they're sane. So Christians need to have their brains washed from the brainwashing that we've been going through for our whole lives. Anthony, our, you know, early 60s. I guess that's how old you are, Anthony. Aren't you like 62 like I am? I can't remember. I will not divulge my identity <laughs> nor my age. I just like to say I look younger than I am. But, uh, but anyway, um, you know, the, that's the that's the that's the truth. The truth is that yeah. we have great reason to be hopeful. Yeah, and you know, I I don't want the you know the the lame thing that laid on us that oh well we've read the book we know how the story you know ends and you know that's true to an extent but you know it's been used as a pejorative against Christians who say well we know how it all turns out and it's all great and. You know, Satan's defeated and, and we don't have to suffer through anything and whatever else you want to bring into that discussion, you know, be it the rapture or anything else. But the point is, yeah, God allows everything to happen according to his plan and his timing. And there is nothing beyond his control. And the hubris of Lucifer and his minions and therefore those that have fallen under his, his lies and his deception believing in things such as defeating death, as we said earlier, um, that ye shall be as gods, and that you can communicate with, let's say, fallen angels that we're not supposed to be communicating with and obtaining information and technologies that we're not supposed to have. Well, that's not beyond God's control. That's his plan, too. We have free will. He allows every imagining to be realized. And there is, as you said, nothing new under the sun. So I'm trying to encourage people to understand that, yeah, this is pretty nefarious, and it's born from Lucifer, but these are tools of judgment. These are tools that God uses. Lucifer is God's tool. He created Lucifer, 
And it's my view that he is a tool of judgment and all of his technology will be employed as tools of judgment. If you want to think of CERN as the guillotine, well, that may be one way of looking at it, but you don't have to be fearful. Just turn to Jesus Christ. It's really simple. It's really easy. I was on with another gentleman, Richie from Boston, on Friday. Great guy. Great conversation for two hours. And he said that. It's so simple. Why do people resist it? Well, who knows? Mr. Patch and Mr. Woodward, we're coming up against our final break. Folks, Anthony Patch and Douglas Woodward are our guests. They are the co-authors of Revising Reality, A Biblical Look into the Cosmos, available today. Go to anthonypatch.com, go to doomsdaydoug.com, or go to Amazon to find the book. We'll be right back for our last segment right after this. final segment, final half hour with our tremendous guest, Doug Woodward, DoomsdayDoug.com, Anthony Patch from AnthonyPatch.com, their newest work, Revising Reality, a biblical look into the cosmos. First of all, that's right. And, and you know, you might be listening, joining us late and saying, wait a minute, we got an election to go to, you know, go through, and we, we, we've got all these problems the economy's falling and you guys are over in the corner talking about this stuff where's the relevance well and again I'll just mention the quote uh, Greg Jackson you know a lot of conversation in the alternative media is, is an inch deep and a mile wide to paraphrase Greg Jackson this strikes at the essence of really everything that's going on and the relevance is very simply that what is happening is, I mean, we are here as a, well, the universe is well-ordered. We are here. We've been designed and shaped, humanity has been, um, by God. The theory of the religion of evolution, of course, as a side note, is is debunked, obviously. I mean, the all-importance is... I mean, the, the essence of, of our conversation today in this broadcast is touches every aspect of our of our lives that we're that we're living. I think, and you know, um, uh, uh, one of the gentlemen mentioned about uh, you know we know how the story ends. So, I mean, God in the end, God wins. That's true, but that trivializes, in my view, anyway. That trivializes, and I say that too. We do know how the story ends, but that doesn't mean we 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 don't pay attention. And we don't seek answers and seek knowledge. I was just very quickly, and I'll turn, turn back over to the, our guests, but uh, I remember this like it was yesterday. I had the opportunity to spend some um, time in Montana with uh, Steve Quayle, and I remember him and I being uh, alone together in, in a room, and and uh, we were talking and deep in conversation. I mean, it was like, you know, the second hour we were talking, and, you know, he said to me, um, as we as we approach the end of days, we, you know, the the knowledge will, uh, the un the, the what has been kept secret will will you know be made known. 
and it's it's a very exciting time, and it's a very important time for us to understand it. And those who understand it, he said to me, will be that much. I mean, the the, the he was talking about lucidity and being sober and sober-minded and intellectually, you know, attuned to what's going on. And I'll never forget that conversation. That's kind of what we're going through tonight. Uh, kind of a left-handed way and a long way of saying, great book, great guests, and, of course, uh, four authors to this book. You've got Anthony Patch, uh, S. Douglas Woodward, Josh Peckin, uh, Gonzo Shimura, with a foreword by our own Stan Dale. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say our own, but uh, Stan Dale is with us every Tuesday night. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. All right, as we get back with uh, Mr. Patch and Mr. Woodward, um, I don't know where a good place to, to start would be, but I do have a, a question and, and a place if you want to get into this. The uh, Cosmic Wars of Space, the real Star Wars of ancient times. Can we talk about this a little? Sure. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's an area that, that Justin P. Farrell um, talks about to a great extent. Um, you know, his site, uh, the Giza Death Star, dot com. Um, he's written, I don't know, probably six or eight books. He's probably written 25 books, but probably six or eight of them are specifically on this. One in particular, The Cosmic War, uh, that he talks about <clears throat> in terms of ancient texts, as well as the work of like, uh, Tom Beard and, and uh, Tom Van, Van Flandern, uh, in terms of understanding, um, some really, really amazing things. Uh, um, ion cannons, uh, plasma pinches, some uh, these really strange, very esoteric, very arcane concepts or, or weapons that uh, that might have existed. Um, it's not at all clear that that those ideas are consistent with um, the uh, kind of the concepts. I should say they are consistent with the concepts of the electric universe, but there's a different kind of myth. Going on in in those ideas, Farrell's ideas, uh, Richard Dolan, some of the others that uh, that Farrell hangs out with, Catherine Austin Fitz, and so forth. They have kind of a different mythos than the mythos that that is uh, the Electric Universe, and and then really the story that the Bible tells us. The Bible only drops a few hints about what might have happened before. Um, you know, the concept of Rahab, uh, was Rahab in fact a planet? Uh, when it talks about Lucifer walking amongst the stones of fire, are the stones of fire the planets? Uh, or is Lucifer somehow confined to this earth? There's, we talk about some of those things, we get into some of those things, and that's kind of the doorway to the next volume getting into the nature of the creation and, and what is it that we know and what is it that we can speculate or conjecture on from the Bible. Uh, and I think that's okay to do that as long as we qualify that it is not what we, we, you know, we don't know that the Scripture teaches this. The Scripture just hints at certain things. And uh, But I, I think that that's, that that's true. I, I had a comment from Stan Dales, we were kind of going back and forth talking about things in the forward and, and, uh, actually he writes in the forward, which is really a remarkable, uh, statement. Let me go find it so I can quote it exactly. But he talks about, 
you know, his, his belief, his uh, sort of supposition that, that the nature of, of what occurred, um, early with Adam, with Abraham and so forth. Um, let me see if I can find this comment that he makes because it's a very powerful, powerful comment. Um, it was right from the same area that, uh, Anthony, you talked about earlier. I think it was, um, Let's see if it's this. Hold on just a second. It's towards the end. Was it towards the end? Yeah, I was I yeah, I just sort of messed my okay. point up. But but anyway, the let me I'll just sort of recap it. Essentially what he was saying was that his sense is that um that they're really you know, Adam and Abraham, Moses, that that they're really was, uh, you know, they, they really did write down things, if you will, and that their conviction about the nature of history and where things are going is, uh, is, it's not beyond us to, you know, to understand, um, and that the, the we're closer, you know, to, uh, to Adam and Eve and to Abraham, the great patriarchs of the Bible, than we realize, and, uh, that the continuity of history between those great Personages of the Bible and where we are today, there's a lot more continuity than we than we realize, and then we're all part of the sort of the same story arc. And um, you know, we might talk just for a couple of minutes, Anthony, even if you want to. You know, we you talked about earlier about sort of the lame you know view that well maybe we're saying hey we know how the story ends. Well, you know, Lucifer, Satan believes the story ends differently, and you know perhaps he's psychotic. But he actually believes that there is a chance to defeat God, that there is, in fact, a chance to kill God, to destroy the creation, to recreate the creation and humankind in his own image. And uh, certainly something Gonzo talks about in his sections. But I don't know, Anthony, you might talk about that. You you know, it sort of gets into what the book of Jasher uh, said about, you know, the idea that Nimrod fired projectiles into heaven and when they came back to earth they were covered in blood and uh, and that there's this idea that Satan has that the Tower of Babel Nimrod tried to kill God and that's exactly what the real uh, sort of goal or purpose of CERN is today is to create new types of heavenly projectiles that in effect can kill Christ and his mighty army when he comes back to earth I know this sounds absolutely crazy but you know, this is actually part of the story of the book of, of Jasher, and and I think Anthony, you've you've talked about these things. You might you might help me out here sure. and jump into that. Well, because it's crazy, you give it to me. Thank you. Exactly. I think that's yeah. only perfect. I should set you <laughs> up, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. You talk about ion cannons. Well, the Large Hadron Collider, in essence, is a weapons program. They are producing, and this comes as a proof-of-concept experiment from Brookhaven Laboratory, the relativistic heavy-ion collider, in which strangelets were produced at 10 tera-electron volts. That process was shipped over to CERN. CERN produces strangelets every time they collide particles above 10 tera-electron volts. They're running at 13 tera-electron volts. So what's so special about strangelets? They're a quark gluon condensate. I said earlier they're seeking to separate at the nuclear uh, the nuclear bonds of quarks to open the portal. Uh, 
But strangelets are the most powerful explosive substance in the known universe. They predate the God particle, the hadron that they call, that they found, the Higgs boson. Now, there's only a 90% probability that they found that, but this predates in the timeline of the Big Bang, if you adhere to that construct. They resulted in the Big Bang. They created the Big Bang, this explosive material called strangelets. Now, this can be used as a super weapon. If it is the most powerful explosive in the known universe, then Lucifer will employ that to kill angels and perhaps try to kill God. Now, he's operating under the mindset of deception, of lies. He's the father of lies. He cannot think outside that box, that box of deception. He's so delusional that he actually has convinced himself that he can kill God. And that's the essence of the delusion and the lies that is then put on to mankind. And they are caught up in that same box of lies. But these are actual weapons programs, directed energy weapons, kinetic energy weapons, and explosives are being produced at CERN for the coming battle. It is nothing more than a weapons program. It has its roots. In 1954, they broke ground. They were building computer models of nuclear warheads. They were modeling explosions in the computer because they could no longer detonate below ground and above ground in the atmosphere. CERN is all about nuclear warheads and developing more advanced weapons. And the strangelets make nuclear warheads look like firecrackers. That's the weaponry that's being produced there for this battle. And CERN is an outgrowth of the Nazi wep- Nazis, uh, their their weapon uh, weapons program, as well as the U.S. programs, uh, uh, Parsons and such. Right? Is that would that be an accurate yeah. statement? Specific okay. to the Nazis, and Joseph P. Farrell goes into this. But my mm-hmm. my leap over to CERN because he doesn't necessarily make the connection to CERN as I do. But the Nazi Bell, the Degloka, the Nazi Bell project was a small synchrotron particle accelerator. It mimicked the process at the northern pole of Saturn. It was red mercury spun in opposite directions at extremely high speeds through the inducement of direct high high current direct direct current DC electricity. The electric model of the universe, the plasma is all employed in the Nazi bell. From that which produced synchrotron energies, gamma rays, x-rays, killed many of the scientists, the Nazi scientists, in the first stages of development of the bell before they put the shielding around the machine. But from that germination sprung the Large Hadron Collider and all the other synchrotron ring-based particle accelerators on the planet came right out of the bell project. I think there was a really good pun buried in that from the germination. Oh, please. See, I'm the crazy one. I'm certifiable, and you found that. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad about making bad connections, and that was certainly a, a bad connection. I, 
let me let me find let me read the quote. I did find the quote from Stan, and, and of course he said it much more eloquently than I tried to repeat it. But but he said um, as the I, talking about of course this book, as the authors go on to discuss Moses and the Book of Genesis, I found myself wanting to sit them down in a quiet place so that I could share some of the evidence I found that suggests Moses compiled parts of Genesis from clay tablets personally signed by Adam. Abraham and Noah. This is exciting, and it is the nature of theological discovery. It is how biblical knowledge grows. Anyway, I, I just thought, man, that's a oh. stunning statement. So I don't know if Stan had shared that with you all before, but you know, that's just a few of the comments that he makes in the forward that are like, wow, kinds Indeed. of statements. Yes, that that is fabulous. Okay. Well, we've got about, uh, I don't know, 11, 12 minutes left of the program here. Um, well, let's close hard. So how, how do you want to do this? I mean, uh, what, what, what do you think? We, what haven't we talked about that we need to, to, to address? Well, there's, you know, we, we, there's so much in the book. The book really begins with, of course, discussing, you know, the, the angelic entities, the, the Nephilim, the fallen angels, and trying to provide some context for all that because that's become such a popular subject that, you know, certainly Steve Quayle, L.A. Marzulli, uh, a number of people have talked about that, the giants and so forth. And so what we're trying to do is kind of bring that back into the context of the overall cosmic picture. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one point that, that I would certainly try to make is, is that, that we're trying to, uh, place that in context because those are, you know, those are stunning, uh, cosmological ideas that there are these angels and these angels could cohabitate with women and so forth. And, and this is really the context that we, we need to place it in is understanding that the way that the cosmos really works, the nature of the personalities in play, uh, and then, you know, tying in, as I mentioned some time ago, the work of Dr. Michael Hauser, uh, Heiser, excuse me, I, I'm getting tired, I think, uh, in talking, um, about the divine council, the heavenly hosts and so forth. The fact that we're dealing with these different entities or identities that exist in the cosmos and um, and so one of the real core foundational points to make here is that if we understand these things better we're better equipped to really deal in the issue or in the, the theater of spiritual warfare um, we, we need to understand who we are where we fit in the cosmos you know why God created us uh, why is Satan, you know, is he so angry at us? And, and so much of it is because we usurped his place. And he lost his place, you might say. And we were placed in his place. Um, the divine council that uh, Dr. Heiser talks about. You know, the sons of, uh, of man, sons of men were divided apparently by 70, uh, the, which is the number of the divine council. And so each of these, in effect, supernatural beings, uh, which Dr. Heiser uh, believes, and I would certainly agree, that they represent the powers and principalities, such as Daniel talks about the, the prince of Grisha, the prince of Persia, and so forth. We're really dealing with but, these... By entities. the way, 
I, I didn't mean it. I just want to, I didn't mean to over talk you, but Dr. Heiser will be a guest next week on our program. Oh, great. So, great. Um, great. Well, uh, yeah, I just yeah. want to let everyone know. Perfect. Okay, go ahead, sir. Perfect. Yeah. So, anyway, so his work is so just terrific, really, really wonderful, and, and opens a lot of, of insight into these things. And so, once we understand that, <clears throat> that the divine council is the way that God has chosen to rule the cosmos, and that the divine council appears to be corrupted, and then God separated off for himself a nation, Israel, and worked through that nation. In other words, we talk about these things, and we talk about how all this plays into the drama or the story arc of the Bible and where humankind fits in this story arc. So, you know, that's again the context of the work that Josh did talking about these kinds of things, the issue of, you know, do angels have DNA? Uh, all these things are issues that have been kind of broached by studies on fallen angels and giants and so forth, but they haven't necessarily all been placed into the context of, of the cosmos. And uh, so that's one of the, that's one of the objectives that we had in, uh, in writing this book was to try to provide that kind of a context. Interesting. Where we, uh, where do you want to go from here, guys? We got about seven minutes left of the show. Um, Let me uh, a number do a of... shameless plug. Can I do a shameless plug? Sure, should. Well, I don't know. We're plugging Send, a book. Can I plug Send... a conference? Sure. <laughs> All right. Hey, on my website, um, I've got a link to the. Uh, here, the Watchman Conference, and that will be September 30th, October 2nd. That'll be in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'll be speaking on the first day, but I'll be there all three days. And if people want to get into these long conversations like you had with Steve Quayle, Doug, um, I'd love to do that with people. I make myself fully available uh, for the entire conference for breakout sessions or individual conversations. L.A. Marzulli will be there, Paul Begley, Pastor Paul Begley, Dr. Michael Lake, Russ Dizdar, Josh Tolley, Coach Dave, a lot of these guys, and John B. Wells. We're all going to be there September 30th in Knoxville, so great time to come and meet us, and I really enjoy meeting people who have followed my work and have more in-depth questions than we're able to handle uh, on the air, and things that I can't say on the air that I will say privately to people I'm happy to do. So that's my shameless plug for the night. Besides the book you've beautifully shared with people for us, and I appreciate the opportunity for us to do that on your show, you guys. No, absolutely. We really appreciate that. You know, it's it's a well-written work, and uh, it's it's interesting because again, referring back to your your uh, article that describing uh, you know your appearance tonight, the, the Bible expresses that the humans, us, we, God's creation, we're the center of God's creation, and God himself came to redeem us, you know, um, that's, at the, that's at the epicenter of everything. That's at the basis of everything. And I would submit to our listeners, as you get old, I mean, our demographics, we've got a wide range of listeners from, from all, I mean, countries, I don't know, well over 100 countries listen um the fact is this, uh, in, in my view anyway, the most important thing is as we age, as we face our mortality, and even the issues, whether it's the elections or the economy or whatever it might be. I mean, 
what what more important thing can we talk about than than um, our relationship with God and and our place and our duties and our reward and, and I think you really do a great job through your work and your your conversations and your and your columns both of you in uh, in really supporting that thank you so much for for being part of our program tonight thanks no we we really uh, really appreciate it I I think I might just you know, sort of my, my last comment might be to quote, uh, I sort of have a Presbyterian background. Sorry about that, but, um, I, I find this is a, a statement that's always good to kind of keep in the center of our thinking. And it's from the Westminster Confession of the Reformed Church. And it, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You know, it kind of comes down to that. Amen. And, and, and there it is. And there it is. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We've reached the virtual end of our program. We'll take care of some housekeeping issues after uh, after we we'll let you go. But I just, again, thank you both for your gift of time. Um, I, I just, you know, it, the, the book itself, it, it's a great read. 316 pages available on Amazon. Um, and, of course, uh, it'll be available at the conference uh, for those attendees. Is there any way that I can get an autographed copy? How do I do that? If I want to get an autographed copy, who, who do I contact? Who do I contact? Well, you can you can contact me. Just just send me your mailing address. Uh, I okay. mean, I know you're up there in you know Erie, Pennsylvania, somewhere. But uh, but tell me more specifically, and I'll I'll get you a couple of copies, maybe several. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'll give you my address right now. I got a pen. Yeah, everybody's going. Okay. Um, yeah. Finally, well, we can. If finally, you want we, to tell we, it on the air. I, I didn't. No, know you no, no, to no, give no. The mailing address. But anyway. No, actually, uh, send, uh, send me a note. Well, can people can and I'm not being serious now? Can people uh, get a okay. copy from you or from uh, Anthony or anyone? Yeah, um, uh, yes. If folks want to just send a, an email to me, you can send me a note at at uh, Doug at DoomsdayDoug.com, and uh, you'll need to send me. I need, of course, I'll I'll know your email address. I'll need to know uh, your physical address, uh, where to send it to, and then what I'll do is I'll I'll mail you the listener. I'll mail you a uh, PayPal note, and then you can pay me, and then I'll ship it to you. So uh, the cost cool. of the book's twenty one ninety five, and and you know shipping is typically four to six dollars, depending upon what speed you want. Whether you want pack mule or you you know you want uh, you know basically a a jet to get it to you. <laughs> well, if it was quantum right. entangled, it wouldn't be an issue. It'd be instantaneous. No, it would be there yesterday. You said, that's right. You that's, would have already been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so very much. God bless both of you. God bless you. Thank you so very much, and uh, we really Good appreciate night. it. All right. Good night. Good night. God bless. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, how was that, huh? I mean, what a great uh, two guests that just really rocked the house. Uh, the rock stars, really, in their own right. And I say that, and, and of course, I I'm, I'm just want to be serious. They're very... Uh, you get, you, you, you get the intellectual acumen. I mean, the their knowledge. My goodness, it's great, uh, folks. We tomorrow night. Uh, uh, well, the rest of the week we we got great shows lined up for you. Uh, yeah. Please watch our website too. I just want to let you know about that. I've got some got some breaking news coming out here shortly. I don't know when. It's going to depend on my source when I can get the information. Joe, I'm going to kick it back to you. Yeah, tomorrow night we have in hours two and three Matt Truella. And then Friday, we have Augusto Perez. It's been a while since Augusto's been, been on the show. He's going to talk about some current events, geopolitics, and a, and a conference he has going on. 
in the near future. And then next week, uh, the gentleman that Anthony Patch and Douglas Woodward was talking about is coming on Monday, Dr. Michael Heiser. Oh, yeah. Wow. As well as um, we got a special for Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes. Uh, I, dealing I, with uh, Obama, Fuddy, and uh, some connections to things that we've explored but haven't finalized as far as investigations are concerned. And Dr. Michael Lake next week also. If I can just speak on the uh, on, on next week, the results of a long-standing investigation will be revealed on our program, and it does have to do with the fuddy, the gatekeeper of Obama's birth certificate, her alleged death. I have seen the investigative documents, the results of the investigation. Remember, folks, back when you were when we were talking about uh, filing FOIA requests, and uh, and you, everyone, it just seemed like everyone just got together and says, "Okay, we want those documents." And and uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars were were sent in, and we used that to to obtain uh, the documents necessary to expose, among other things, to expose something. Which I guarantee you, when you see this, when you see the evidence pertaining to Fuddy and Obama and, and, and the, the well you're just going to be blown away and we're putting this together now uh, two very brave individuals are behind this and um, well more on this as we get closer to the program dates but we're, we're going to cut this in, in two segments 90 minutes apiece uh, that, that program but when you when you see the investigative work product that is you're just going to be blown away so really watch our website i'm going to have a full detailed explanation on that so excited about that i just want to one more thing god bless every one of you thank you so much we're a listener supported show in large part you've done so much so much to uh help us stay on the air against all odds against the censorship and against the people who want to take us down and shut us up thank you thank you for your prayers and for your support God bless each and every one of you. Saddle for battle. 